All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Uh, Wait a minute. It, Why does Lynn wasn't, and Bill have the just, same interior? What's, we're the what's same up with this blue person. and white? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Are y'all the same person? Um, our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, uh, oh, actually, wait, let me let you know where you are. My name is Questlove, and this is another episode of Questlove Supreme. We're here with Team Supreme. Uh, Sugar Steve, hello. Yo, yo, how are you? I'm great. Fontigalo. What up, what up? And uh, we have Laia. Still here, yes, yes. And we have uh, Unpaid Bill, New Bill. Here I am. Bill's Bills. 2.0. yeah, Bill 2.0. I'll say that our guest absolutely, well, I always say that our guest needs no introduction, but I guess our guest does need introduction because he's literally done everything except for uh, balance the budget, um, <laughs> save us from COVID. He's won a Pulitzer, a MacArthur uh, Genius Grant, a Kennedy Center honor. I thought you had to be like at least. 300 years old to get a Kennedy Center honor. I didn't realize that one could be 19 and win a Kennedy Center honor. Uh, he's so won kind a lot of everything you just said. <laughs> he, he's won a lot of Grammys. Uh, he has an Emmy and he might have a Tony or two. I don't know. Be it $40,000 on StubHub or on Disney Plus, you literally have zero excuse if you're not seeing our guests, uh, his creation uh one of the biggest global phenomenons in entertainment probably (laughs) short of thriller see this is what happens when i don't (laughs) this is what happens when i don't have three by five cards no literally ladies and gentlemen uh please welcome the quest love supreme uh the creator of in the heights of uh hamilton let's not forget uh vernon actor playwright mc producer what else are you? Your director, your father, your Long-time son. Long time fan, first time caller. Thrilled to be here. Thanks. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Washington Heights own Lynn Manuel Miranda, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Lynn. What's up, everybody? All right, so check it. All right, cause, you know, it, like if I really know guests, I won't prep notes. I'll just go off the top. However, I'm Googling you, and oh, I'm boy. the questions 
the question surrounding your name, it, this is this is hilarious to me because under your name comes these following questions. Did Burr regret killing Hamilton? Wow. Why do people like Hamilton so much? Oh. Why is Hamilton so expensive? Yeah. How old should one be to go see Hamilton? <laughs> What's the most famous Broadway show? What is Will Smith's net worth? I don't know where that came from. But yeah, that's what that do with yeah, but that, that came out of nowhere. I, I ask that every day. Who's Lin-Manuel's, uh, Miranda's best friend? Uh, who has the highest note in Into the Unknown? And who is a mortal technique? So basically, you have... You have a, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that runs a gamut pretty good. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. You you literally run the whole spectrum of hip hop, and and uh, <laughs> in in history, in one in ten questions, one fell swoop. I, I wish it was that for for me. This this is taking a long time. Mm. Do you do you remember your uh, the pilot episode, Bill? Yes. That you came to. Yeah. And you just casually flex. Yeah, yeah. You know, we get him no problem. And it's like four and a half years later. Well, if, if anyone's got a busier schedule than me, it's you. And getting those <laughs> to line up is like the Death Star window of just like, okay, these 45 minutes, here we go. Dude, <laughs> I know. Uh, trust me. I know. It, I I do not take for granted. I remember You're, asking you have about. You have no spare hour to even talk to us. I, I do not <laughs> Wait take a minute. But granted. it's funny. I remember you had agreed to DJ. I think our opening night party and I saw you a few days before and I said, Hey, mm-hmm. thanks again for, for doing that. And you were like, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's him. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. And I said, you're DJing the, the opening night party. And he went, I forgot. let me show you something about my life. And you showed me your schedule and you like mm-hmm. literally opened your phone and it was more colors than the rainbow in terms <laughs> of like hour to hour, what you were doing. And Hamilton hadn't really happened yet. Hamilton hadn't opened yet. And I was like, how can one person be one human do this much? And it was like a glimpse of, it was a glimpse of my future. I'm like, no, you're going to be busy. Um, That's that's before I met Grace Harry, who insisted, if we have a future, you're going to drop 10 jobs. So. Mm. Thank you, Grace. Yeah. Drop it. Grace. Except the quest left to pre. She laid the law down. Wait, speaking of which, uh, Lynn and Bill, do you know, do you truly know that my involvement with this was an accident to show you how aloof I am about my schedule? Your involvement with what? Hamilton. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> do, do you know how aloof and how, like, Mr. Magoo accidental tourist it was? <laughs> All right, let me let me walk you through it real quick. You you meant to go see a show at Joe's Pub and you wandered into our show. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Basically, yes. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Um, John, when John Ridley had won for Twelve Years a Slave, you know John Ridley and uh, had had wrote Twelve Years a Slave and uh, what's his name famously directed it. Um, uh, Steve McQueen. Uh, Steve McQueen. McQueen. Right. Steve yeah. McQueen. Right. So when Ridley had uh, written 12 Years a Slave and about maybe six months after he won his Oscar, he had a meeting with us about working on a project. So in true mere fashion, arriving and Steve can attest to this, I came like to the meeting six minutes late. Okay, really 16 minutes late. And 
what I didn't realize was that he was giving us homework to to do. And part of that homework was look, research uh, these plays that I think that are cutting edge and, you know, like going to change the, the shift. And he had five plays that he wanted us to see. And homework number one was seeing an unknown Hamilton at the public theater. So me not me not putting two two together, I didn't realize because when you started talking to me backstage, you had already gone into pitch mode about <laughs> joining being down. And in my head, I'm like, Yeah, I I I talked to John earlier. I'm yeah, I'm down. I didn't realize that at that point I talked myself into a second production. <laughs> and it became a who's on first situation for about two weeks with the Roots organization until Sean and Tariq were like, no, Amir, what we're doing with John Ridley is something different. Hamilton's a whole nother yeah, animal. I've never met John Ridley in my life. <laughs> <laughs> now I know that this. explains something. So <laughs> but literally the whole time backstage, I was just like saying yes to everything and not just literally having zero clue that you guys weren't associated with Ridley. I thought well, Ridley was just sending us there as a part of this project he was with. And it wasn't until later so that funny. I realized. I, I obviously knew nothing about that since I've never uh, met that man. Sorry to this man. Um, but <laughs> I, sorry to this I'm man. Sorry to this man. Um, the, um, <laughs> but I, um, for me, you coming to the show was like waiting for Guffman. It was like wow. Westlove is finally coming to the show. Um, right. And you were so- I, I had been manifesting the roots coming to our show while I was writing the show. Uh, we had two jokes. Honest. One was about the roots. The one was most deaf. Like most deaf's going to be here. Like is most deaf going to be at the show? That was always like the biggest. That's joke. what I'm saying. The way you were talking was so like, <laughs> like good. You Jimmy level my excitement. <laughs> no, it was, it was just so ex- exciting. And in my head, I'm like, you guys had me at a low, like I, I already knew, you know, like, you people already talked to me at nine a.m. yesterday morning. Like I'm, I'm aboard. Like I didn't realize. <laughs> well, that- that's also why it's like Guffman because you know in the movie that guy's not Guffman who shows up, and they're like, "We're going right. to Broadway." <laughs> so I was all excited because we're like, "West loves in," but he thinks he has said yes to a totally different thing that I know nothing about. <laughs> yeah, man. I just I you're the John Ridley of musical theater, then. <laughs> so, and Quest loves the guy. You gotta say yes to everything. <laughs> what do you um like now? What what are you? What's your what's your daily routine? Are you still able to stay creative despite what we're in, or uh, are you also having a, a just stop moment and? I had a, I had like a solid month and a half, two months where I didn't, I didn't do any, I didn't do anything. I was about to start directing my first movie. We had shot eight days of footage when Netflix, I'm directing this musical for Netflix and they shut us down, which was um, both a bummer and a huge relief because we were already social distancing on set. We were already asking ourselves hard questions of like, how do you do a musical where you sing to each other and not <laughs> spit on each other? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when Netflix said, we're shutting down everything, it was like, good. Someone higher up than me has has answered it for us. Um, 
But you know the the momentum that goes into making a movie. It's your whole life. You spend every waking hour and like it's go time. And then that just stopped. So when did they shut y'all down? How far were y'all around? What time was this? This was it's like the day March 9th or something. It's like March. It was like, yeah, it was March 8th and I we were doing a night shoot. So we they shut us down at they told us this is gonna be your last night filming at 9 p.m. and we still had like three shots left to go. So for a wow. while it was just me and the producers and like our happy crew and actors with jobs and like <laughs> that moment like you know where you can't tell anyone yet and we mm-hmm. you know we waited till the end of the night to tell everyone luckily it was before weekend so everyone was going home for the weekend anyway um and then you know a lot of it was just the new what's the new normal like what's the procedure to leave the house what is school we'd already stopped sending my kid to school just on our own gut shit like of just like I did the same thing too I, I stopped sending my kid i think like a couple days before they finally called it. It was like maybe a little like a week or something before yeah, they finally called yeah, it. was a, it was a week for me it. too. And so, yeah. you know, it, that first month was just, what are we doing? I, I'm so grateful. My wife was so ahead of it. My wife was a scientist. So like in January, <sighs> she was like, this is coming here and we have to take it seriously. And wow. I was like, I'm in pre-production on a movie. Like <laughs> I agree with you, but I also can't stop doing what I'm doing. Um, it's not my money. <laughs> um, right. so and, in your mind, did you think that this was just going to be like maybe a six week thing, maybe a two month thing? I, I, like I had the, in May, June. When my wife explained the science of it to me of like this two week break is bullshit because it, it's, it doesn't even show up in people. And that's why it's spreading so fast. Mm-hmm. Like healthy people spread this and then find out they're sick after they've already exposed however many people they've been in contact with. And so like, she was like, this is not going to be two weeks. She just saw, she saw the whole thing early. Lynn's wife, for those who don't know, is um, the most beautiful person ever to attend MIT. Oh, well, okay. So I have, <laughs> so, oh, wow. so then, wait, so, she's so, on the crew too? What does that mean? That's, that's a weird. Like, it's, <laughs> you just made it weird by saying that, like, yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, was she in the college squad? Was she in the, no. Because we didn't go to okay. MIT, but Lynn can tell a story. <laughs> in high school. No, so oh, you guys were smart enough. Right? That is just, I know. Like, yeah, somehow yeah. I can't imagine myself Yo. at MIT. I can barely you, say it right. That so. is a YouTube series that we need. Unpaid at MIT. Animatics immediately, please. Yeah. But, um, but Lynn, did she give some insight too, as as well as because now that we're in it, and that was her insight before. I'm sure she got some things to tell you now as you are approaching production of things. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm, I mean, she. You know, we are we we start filming again in a week, and um, it's it is we're doing everything we can to be safe, and we've learned from the movies that have already gone into production. The and actors stop are, production, yeah. The actors are in their own bubble and in their own quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the red zone and the yellow zone and the green zone. I basically see my kids on the weekend, they get tested before they can see me again. Um, wow. Like, I can't even break that for for just hanging out with my kids. Like, we, we're taking it as seriously as possible because it's it is it's life and death. We, you know, um, as we we all know. Um, and so so, yeah, but 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 my wife saw it early. And so by the time I kind of they shut down production on the movie and I looked up, Vanessa was like, well, here's everything that's going on. <laughs> like she had already kind of figured out 
how to get in and out of the house, like all of the stuff that is normal to us mm. now. And we were still learning. She was, she was on top of that. So I'm, I'm grateful to her for that. So anyway, a month and a half of nothing. And then I basically pivoted to the writing projects that I wasn't going to be touching for a year because I was working on this movie. Um, I'm writing two scores for two different animated movies, one for Disney and one for uh, Sony animation. Uh, and so I basically just, that's been keeping me busy um, during the, the pandemic is just like, all right, like go back to writing, back to your keyboard. Uh, wait, this just hit me. I really want to start from the, the very beginning. beginning. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, we, we, no, we right there's another the beginning end. I want to start with. <laughs> Lynn, can you tell us three things about unpaid bill that yes! we don't know? <laughs> yes. This is yeah. really the unpaid bill episode. We're just using limer. Absolutely, I knew that's how I'd uh, end up here, and I'm happy to be of service. Um, <laughs> first of all, my entire career and Bill's entire career is as the result of uh, an accident uh, and and an infidelity. Do we want to tell that story, Bill? Yes. I yes. mean, Hell we're yeah. here. We, might we, as we well won't use us. names. We won't. We won't. This mess is, up, this is your episode, spot. not okay, mine. So. I, I uh, actually, okay. It's your episode, Bill. We already so, had mine, and it was tragically great. So there you <laughs> so, go. <laughs> so, um, my college girlfriend produced a, a musical uh, at the school theater uh, at, at Wesleyan. And she produced Once on This Island, and it had a music director, and Bill was the sax player in the pit. Um, <laughs> however, uh, the music director was dating sax. the director of the show, and he cheated on her. She walked in on him cheating. And, I mean, this is college theater, guys. And she yeah. was like, you're fired. Guy playing the saxophone, you're the music director now. <laughs> and so oh, Bill became shit. the music director of this... And then, like, proceeded to kill it. Like, I remember going to see the show being like, why does this college show sound so good? Um, <laughs> and was just, like, amazed at how uh, professional and great the band sounded. And so, uh, and they were like, that's Bill Sherman. He became the band conductor after you fired <laughs> for fucking around. Um mm. And so I then rehired <laughs> to play the bass because we didn't have a bass player. There was no oh, other so bass player. In school. <laughs> so I, I, I in fact, rehired <laughs> <laughs> and he was in the band. Yeah. So wait, awkward. <laughs> Bill, you pay the saxophone. So, yeah. You guys don't I, know he plays the saxophone. No, that didn't make so much sense. We did not know this. We did not know this. So my <laughs> first... Oh. Bill was a sax player, and Bill had an African high life band in college called Sorry. Professor Neon. An African yeah. high life band. So you white fail out, Bill? I this. You have selective remembering. Wow. So like I majored in West African music. I've yeah, been yeah, I know this, but do you I go know. that deep into it, bro? So I played the saxophone and I was I was really big into Fela, but I wasn't like You Gundam. made it like you just took a trip to Africa at like a vacation. I Oh. Yeah. No, I, I didn't know know this. You guys are talking yeah. to Fela Kutstein. <laughs> 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 new name alert. New name Fela. alert. Fela Kutstein. That's new name. Fela Kutzenberg. Watch it. Oh my God! Oh, thank you. Thank you, Lynn. Oh man, if I had known we were going to go this deep, I would have brought cuts. The, the <laughs> great. 
Yeah. I really would like to hear Ooh. some of your West African music, Bill. Professor really- Neon was a dope band. It was like 15 white guys playing West <laughs> African <laughs> music. Uh-huh. Name. Was and it that it you was- couldn't find no black people? Or No, they- see, here's the thing. If you really want to get into it. So Wesley oh, yes, didn't want to play West African music. That's true. Fair. No, no, fair. But also, um, like Wesleyan world music is, I mean, the capital of kids. white guys with dreadlocks. Okay. I didn't have dreadlocks. <laughs> I smoked Trent. a lot of weed. Plenty of it. <laughs> My boy. Close enough. Um, uh, but what's interesting about Wesleyan is that it's, it was billed as uh, like diversity university, as it were. But uh, it was so segregated that it was mm. affable. Yeah. So like Lynn lived in Latin guy house, which La was called. La Casa del Bisu Campos. Yeah. And then, and then all of the black folk lived in Malcolm X house. Like I'm not even, I'm not even making this yeah, up. They this were across real. the street. We saw them yeah. all the time. <laughs> we waved to them Wait, from across the street. Why imagine like he's the character time. in a house party? Uh, boy from a young black teenager. Cameron, yeah, the white Cameron too. House party too. The movie PCU was based on Wesley, and the writers of that movie went to West. Yeah. Like every wow. like nationality and affinity group had its house. Ah, so okay. I was part of the White Boy Stoner World Music Crew. Yeah. Yeah, and I lived in La Casa. Yeah, and Lynn was like the Latin guy. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? He continues to Wait, be that is guy this, today. <laughs> is, this, is this the Santi Gold, Angela Yee uh, era of Wesleyan, but, or afterwards? I it's think she's a little younger than us. between that and MGMT. MGMT was... Wait, what year were you guys? What, what was your class? We're class of 2002. MGMT was like the year after us. Yeah. All right. Oh, well, wow. no, they okay. they were like maybe three years before you guys. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Santa Gold was, was ahead of us. Um, we so were part yeah, of wow. the Lin Manuel Miranda <laughs> era, if you didn't know that. <laughs> what? But it's now we we were part of what is now referred to as the Lin Manuel Miranda era. Of course. I, I see. <laughs> like that's if, if you ask anybody, that's well, those years. What What's funny is, I mean, one of the lessons of <laughs> of that I got out of Wesleyan was when I I did the first version of In the Heights. At Wesleyan, it was an 80-minute show. And to get Latinos in a show, I had to go beyond the, like, six white theater majors that were theater majors. So I had Ralphie from Ebony Singers in the cast. And I had the result of, like, me casting the net across campus instead of just people who auditioned for musicals um, was that we were a huge hit show because everyone had a friend in the show because uh, that's how you get people to your show when you're in college. How um, did you appeal to them, Lynn? How did you even... Oh, I flyered, I flyered everywhere and I was in the gospel choir and I flyered in the gospel <laughs> choir. I just like went beyond like the theater board call sheet. Right. Lynn uh, posed for art classes as the naked guy. He no. Oh, enough. come on. We're going there? All right. All right. <laughs> All right, let's go. Yes, the highest so, paying at the time, Lynn's girlfriend started in the Heights and she was Filipino and she remains Filipino to this day, but she was like, the, she, was, she was the Filipino girl who played like the Latin girl from fucking Washington Heights, which was hilarious, but great casting. Well, listen, right, I didn't succeed in finding Latinos. <laughs> I cast the net as wide as, as I could. Um, and at Wesleyan, Filipino is close enough. Close um, enough. <laughs> really both hey, is this, is this on tape? Right, that is part. There, is oh, yeah. there a version of this on tape? Yeah, you'll no. never see it. You'll never see it. Uh, <laughs> and there's um, a record, too. I, I, put, I put the opening what? number. I actually did put the opening number on YouTube. You can see the opening number. You can see a little Filipina Aileen. But just for the record, I was not Heights. part of it at that moment. So don't. 
But wait a minute. You you went so fast, Bill. You sped past. First of all, posing for drawing one class was the highest paying job on campus. (laughs) And how much is that, Lynn? $14 an hour. Hey, that's paid. Yeah, that's that's paid. You never told me that. Yeah. So I was like, it's not photography. It's just people's bad drawings of me naked. I can live with that. Yeah. On sale on eBay now for like all kinds of cash. You could bet on that shit on eBay. Yeah, this is the way it works. You start with quick poses, right? So the first 10 minutes of class, it's like, ah, one minute. Ah, one minute. (laughs) Ah, one minute. And then you have the long poses where it's 10 minutes where they're going to kind of bring out the colors and the charcoals. And those you have to choose very carefully because if you try to be cute, like – you're holding that shit for 15 minutes. You got to hold minutes. that shit for 15 yeah. So a lot of, there's a lot of drawings of me lying down that have surfaced <laughs> since my fame. Yes. People were like, Wait. I have a naked picture of you. And it's just a drawing of me lying down because I didn't want to hold standing up for 15 minutes. That's at least 10 Gs. Yeah. Oh, eBay. A, a naked Lynn Manuel. That's the new Rembrandt right there, boy. <laughs> <laughs> it was Everyone, intro it to got drawing, one. guys. They can't be that good. It was intro to drawing. <laughs> Wow, boy. That's crazy. So anyway, Bill killed being music director. And then I was like, you're working with me. You're coming with me on my shows. I write my own shit. And um, he sort of had no choice. It's sort of like how he wound up on your show. He was just like, (laughs) okay. And then there he was. Lynn's been doing the same impression impression of me for like almost 20 years at this point. Here's here's, here's my line on Bill. Because he says it at every juncture in our careers from college onward. I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. It was a big deal. <laughs> he makes me sound like a fucking idiot. Like that, that's my boss. Now that's you. Why do you always have to tell everybody what I do? My whole resume, every show. I just want to do that. Why? We, yeah. Fuck. It's like, because you're fucking amazing. Whatever. Okay. Anyway. So they, Lynn's did that kind of you guys? Did they know how great? you guys were at the time was the whole theater department like oh this is going to be our sh- this is going to be a hit and people are going to always come back to Wesley and Wait, like, we my, built my, this there <laughs> has to be that professor that was like scoffing at this yes. and now you you came back like giving a master class 10 years later like <laughs> there my, has to my be my issue actually was that in the heights was i kind of peaked sophomore year cuz oh. in the heights was really good it was a huge hit we sold cast albums of a college show mainly because i couldn't get any this is so so dated but like the weekend i had the theater was the weekend of the wesleyan millennium concert so all the good musicians were playing the wesleyan millennium concert so i couldn't get any of the musicians i wanted to play the weekend you played the millennium concert i was um, one of those musicians so who played the i took the my millennium. sound budget and i created karaoke tracks so even in the first wow. performance of in the heights they're singing to playback that i did at like a studio in Middletown. And so, and then I paid the money back by selling albums. Um, wow. And so, so we were- Is there a copy of the no. original In is the it, Heights? Nope, never, never. <laughs> okay, um, okay. Someone's saying have, no. I have, Someone's saying yes. I have what did he answer? Nope. Anyway. Okay. I just uh, got the eyes. I feel this like one. your career will be ended if you violate. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'll holler at you later, Bill. Thank yep. you. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, Wow, you have an organics under your belt. That's amazing. <laughs> Aww. Aww. I have a what? Organics. Organic, the Roots record. In organics. Uh, the the first our- Roots album that's not a Roots album, but it's a Roots album. Okay. Who played our senior concert at Wesleyan? 
Anyone? The roots. Anyone? The roots. Y'all played we were all the same 10 feet before we even knew each other many, many years ago. Wesley we University. played there while you guys were there? Yeah. Yep. With Ben wow. on the bass. Wow. Or wow. Ben playing guitar. Okay. During phrenology period. Look yeah. at God. Yeah, I only, too, the yeah, only reason been, yep. why I remember the, the Santi era was only because the infamous by Mob Deep came out the day that we had to play their their spring fling in in 95 and we were so that's the only time i ever remember that and the and the sopranos uh uh the sopranos ending season uh series ending do i remember abbreviating the show the root show so we could rush off stage to <laughs> to do something else What's funny is the, he, the Roots played at all our college shows. Like I'm sure oh, yeah. it's at Fonte's. I'm sure he they, y'all was at mine. I saw like, him. I saw him yeah. at UNCG. They never came to. They never came to Central, but oh. I saw him at UNCG and they came to Duke. Budget uh, tight. Yeah, yeah. They, tight. You guys had you guys had Biz Marquis as the DJ beforehand. That's right. Always oh, the he, perfect college DJ. Perfect, and he played OBU yeah. six, six times. times yeah. in a row. Got what I need. Six it was times. Amazing. It was awesome. It was all amazing. the white kids were going crazy. Just a friend six times. Yeah. Six fucking times <laughs> without oh, even giving a shit without like there was no it was the best nothing. He was just like, fuck it. He did it, it again. Was so it was awesome. great. So were you doing any were you putting together? Now, I know there's a difference between participating in productions and putting it together. Um, What what gave you the the spark or the gumption or the nerve to even say I have to put this together myself. Like, how does one do that at a college? Like, I want to put something together. It, it's funny because I, I, I went, I chose Wesleyan because it's one of the few places that lets you double major in theater and film. And I really loved film and I really loved theater. And then, like, like, I just got really practical once I got there. If you're a film major, this was pre-digital. So you're mm-hmm. paying for film to make your senior film. You have to pay for it yourself. And the best you can do is get your short into a festival and maybe get an agent if the head of the department likes you more than the other kids and like kind of pushes you. If you make theater, it's 300 bucks for a show and the school pays for it. So I just remember thinking like, I'm going to make as much theater as I can in these four years because I knew my parents were killing themselves to pay for school. Um, mm-hmm. My dad like literally quit his non-for-profit job and went to like a high pay because I was going to college. Like wow. I was very aware of that burden. What so did I your like, do? What 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 did My do mom's a psychologist okay. um, and my dad uh, was uh, the head of a non-profit called the Hispanic Federation. That's sort of this umbrella organization for Latino organizations. And he went into political consulting the year gotcha. I went to school because he was like, I have to... I got to make this bread. I got to get that <laughs> <Yeah>. money. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's it's not an accident that one of the major plot lines of In the Heights is like parents killing themselves to pay for Nina's school and her kind of accepting that sacrifice. And 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 instead of being like, I don't want this life, it's, it's like, you know, I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to make the most of what you guys have done so that I could be here. Um and so I, I just was like, if I leave Wesley with just a degree in theater studies, like, <laughs> I don't know what that's going to be. So I just like tried to treat it like a four year workshop. Like I wrote a musical every year um, and I would put it up and I acted in other people's stuff, too. And I, um, you know, the, the cool thing about 
theater majoring is that you you learn you hang lights for other people's shows. I did set design for other people's shows. I did sound as like you learn all these other different skills, which helps you in the world because you kind of know what everyone else does in their respective departments. I can't but, really hustle you because you done did that mm-hmm, shit before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I will say this: as stoner hippie music guy, I got laid X amount of times. As music director in Lynn's shows, I got laid X times a thousand more times than being stoner hippie drum circle guy. If so there that's ever what was I a time for me to have the damn sound effects of machines, I wish. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> your guess. Amir hit it. Post production. No, you can't do it on this. COVID. Yeah. Post production. <laughs> Wait, I, I I do want to know. I mean, you know, no one, no one can plan lightning in a bottle, or plan a phenomenon, or any of those things. But. I have to say that if anyone has been privy to many a meeting or a, a, a summit meeting for these pitches in which they promise you the world, I've been that guy. Meaning since 1999, since 2000, I've heard many a pitch about, you know, uh, there was a point where they were going to try to bring Wild Style to Broadway. And they described how we're going to change the world. And da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> I was part of the meeting when they first started at um, you, you know, the the famous Tupac, Tupac uh, Tuflop. Oh, me, yeah. Yeah. Play that, that, you know, got deaded in three weeks. Everything. There was even a play based on I probably the furthest I got involved with Hip hop and Broadway. If you remember the 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 Nike commercials, um, where they were like bouncing the ball and rhythm. Oh, ball! Yeah, yeah, right. I remember so, media pitching that. Yeah, they wanted that. They signed LL up. They wanted to do something about like uh, street ball, like on the Rucker, that sort of thing. It's a and we got with basketball. <laughs> exactly. No, that's, we got, that was got, the bitch. I'm not joking. I'll say that we got about three months into it, three months into workshops. It, here, here's the music lineup. Bootsy Collins, Nona Hendrix, Questlove. Bootsy Collins, Nona Hendrix, Questlove, and I think Mums. So, that, you oh, know, they, wow. they were like, yo, it's going to be poetry and basketball and... <laughs> LL Cool J and da 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 da, da. <laughs> and you know the thing is is that Broadway is so addicted to this like to this Tin Pan Alley jazz fingers like this 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 Gershwin thing that they can't let go and it's like you I mean out out of and there's there's four or five other plays that I've seen or been involved with pitches in, in which they go over the top and describing it. I mean, in your mind, are you thinking, okay, I'm finally going to rid Broadway of its, of its disease of being stuck in the 1930s and just <laughs> updated. Like, are you thinking this at all when you're, when you're putting these productions together? Or is it just like, Hey, it's a Thursday and I have a clever idea. I want to get down. Yeah, uh, it's a combo of both, and it's, and it's actually it brings us back to Tick Tick Boom because I think that I I I have parents who grew up with 
I grew up with cast albums. My parents were like that generation who just collected, mm -hmm. didn't even see the shows, but collected the cast albums. And, um, and so I grew up with those and loving those. But again, I think like for a lot of people, it just felt like something old white people did and old white people saw and I enjoyed it, but it didn't seem like a it's world not a place that for was you in it. Yeah. It was, it was like a walled garden. Um, mm. And, and then I saw rent and that really changed it for me because um, one, it took place in the present and that sounds so normal, but I hadn't seen any musicals that took place in the present. By the time I'm yeah. a teenager, even a chorus line is a period piece. Um, and okay, I hate to be that guy. What year did you see Rent? I saw because... it the first year on so my right. 17th so you saw it birthday, in the last row of the Nederlander Theater, Mezzanine. Me too. So you saw it in 96. I saw it in 97 because and... I saw it for my 17th okay. birthday. Yeah. Well, I didn't know if it was 96, 97. And for you... That was life-changing because the thing was, when I saw Rent in 2004, 2005, yeah. I was kind of like... It's a different thing. Eh, at, yeah. I don't know. Maybe... No, you're you're right. At, because I remember seeing Rent in 2004, 2005, and it, was, it felt like a copy of a copy of a copy by then. Mm. Like, I remember seeing it. We had a friend who was a swing in it. And so I got to go around the era you saw it. And I remember seeing one of the actresses like straight up falling asleep during La Vie Bohème. And it's like, that show doesn't work if like everybody doesn't believe in it in every iota of their being. And you saw like the 20th cast. <laughs> um, wow. And, but I remember well, when I- Well, that really shows the power of you because Hamilton is able to resonate powerfully with or without- the nucleus cast. Well, yeah, so, but, but I also think we also, as a production team, are so much more involved than other production teams at this stage in a musical's life. Like, we still have weekly Zooms with our cast members. Like, we're, Tommy checks in, our director checks in, like, more than anybody. So, but, but for me, Rent in 97 was a contemporary show, and it's not like, oh my gosh, that sounds like it could be on the radio. It still sounded very rock on Broadway, but to me, it ended the conversation about rock on Broadway. It was sort of like, Jonathan Larson was like, rock music and pop music and Broadway should reflect each other. They just should be friends. That's why we liked Gershwin. He was on the radio and then you would go see the song you heard on the radio in the show that night. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason popular music and theater music shouldn't be in conversation with each other all the time. Mm -hmm. And that was, I mean, if anything, that's the thesis of Rent uh, and the score. And so I just extrapolated that to hip hop. I was just like, I don't understand why every time I see hip hop reference in a Broadway musical, it's like in quotes. It's like, isn't it crazy that characters are rapping? I was like, hip hop is 30 years old. It's so way past a joke at this point that um and and it's some of the best storytelling in music so why aren't you all in conversation with each other so even in the musicals i wrote <laughs> in high school i was always putting hip-hop in them in the heights had a ton of hip-hop in it it was just i just felt like it was a more exciting way to tell a story through music uh than than what i was seeing and i think um, with hip-hop too but with rhyming like you can get more content in like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? If you give a singer 16 bars and you give a rapper 16 bars, <laughs> I'm saying I'm going to say a whole lot more. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because it's, it's just more content. 
there's something to say too about the audience that hip hop attracts and what that would bring to Broadway and the theater and what they were afraid of, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it's so funny when I see, when I would see David do the first round of interviews on Hamilton and like people be like, you're rapping so fast. And he's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, I'm rapping fast for Broadway. <laughs> Right, right, right. Like the Lafayette thing is, it's slower than anything Tech Nine's ever said in his life. <laughs> <laughs> right. Tech Nine, but, Twister, same thing. Yeah, Twister. exactly. All those worldwide choppers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, it is, it, in a way, Hamilton's so past due. But, but the reason Hamilton works is because it is the story of a writer. And I don't think people think of hip hop artists as writers. And that was that was the only that was the insight I brought to it was like, this is a guy who wrote himself in, in, into every situation. And that's what our favorite MCs do. They write about their reality so well that they transcend them, that when you go across the world with your African high life band, Bill, <laughs> you will meet people on the other side of the world who can rap every lyric of Ready to Die or yeah. the Eight Mile soundtrack or things fall apart. Like it, it transcends. Um, because of its specificity. And and that's, you know, when I was reading that book, that's to me what Hamilton did. And so I was like, this is a hip, hip hop is the only way to do this story. And how long did you hey. spend writing Hamilton? How long of the process was that? I started in 2008 and we opened on Broadway in 2015. Shit. Yeah. That's... Yeah. It was like, cause it was also like, I kind of felt like a snake staring down an elephant. Like for me to digest this history mm. <laughs> and then be able to like, spit it back out in a way that it like told the story, you know, cause I had to just do a ton of research full stop and then, um, you know, attack every moment and decide, you know, it, it's just a million decisions. And I had to read a lot of boring papers by people who are smarter than me <laughs> right, and, yeah, yeah. and have it make sense to me in a way that then I could write it and embody it and tell those stories and make it, make it make sense to the audience. Yeah, and make it make sense to myself. To myself. I, yeah, I, yeah. I think the other thing in the secret sauce is like a lot of the energy in Hamilton is like, can you believe this shit happened? Can you believe this shit happened? Because I'm experiencing that as I'm reading this story. Like, and then he's vice president, and then he shoots him. Like it's <laughs> fucking crazy. Um, and it's a soap opera. Um, but yeah, it took a long time for me to digest it. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. 
Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around the fact that when you go on vacation, mm-hmm. you take, like right now, Obama is about to turn in a two-volume book. And volume one, I believe, is 790 pages. Yeah. So already a book the size of Hamilton that you read when you went on vacation, you finished that book on vacation. You couldn't, I don't, I don't know that I finished it on vacation, but this was pre Kindle. This is before you could put 50 books <laughs> in your back pocket. Yeah, No, that's what I'm saying. It was just like, like you, I don't want to pack 20 books. I'm just going to pack one big book and that'll be my vacation book. <laughs> I was just like, who takes a 700 page book on vacation? I just knew the guy died in a duel at the end. That was it. Made that's what made it interesting enough. Like I learned that in school, and I was just like, "This yeah. will be interesting." Yeah, because that was my question. That was my next question. I was like, "Why Hamilton and not Lincoln or Jefferson or whoever?" Right? Like, why or icebergs? What made you speak? Yeah, for Hamilton? I, 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 I think right. honestly, it's because uh, uh, there was so much I didn't know by the time I started writing. Like, what got the book off the shelf and into my hands was. I knew this guy got shot by the vice president. <laughs> like, and I think around the time Dick Cheney had just shot a dude, like on an accidental hunting yeah, trip. Yeah, on, on a hunting trip. Yeah, we, <laughs> he shot his buddy shot in the face and his friend face, apologized. Bro. The face, right. The face, buckshot in the face. Um, and uh, so that was enough to just like pique my curiosity because that's really all I knew other than he was on the 10. And then when I opened the book and realized he was born and grew up in the Caribbean, that was interesting to me. I didn't know any of the white dudes on money were not born here. Mm. Um, and then um, <laughs> when he got the scholarship, he, this hurricane destroys the island. He writes about it and they collect money for a scholarship uh, to send him to not the States. It wasn't the States yet. The fucking mainland. Um, you know, that's when I was like, well, this guy, that's what my dad did. Like my dad grew up in Puerto Rico and got a scholarship to come to New York at the same age because my dad is way smarter than me. He had graduated college by the time he was 18. He skipped all the grades. He was like Puerto Rican doogie. Um, and so it that temperament of like 
how he had, he was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. I got to make a life for myself. Like that was a very, it reminded me of my dad. And it also felt fundamentally like a hip hop story. Like I'm going to get the fuck out of where I am and get to a better place in life. Um, and that's the stuff of good musicals. You want the character who has a really strong want. You want, you know, fucking uh, Tony singing Something's Coming. You want mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Elphaba singing I'm going to meet the fucking wizard. Um, you know, <laughs> you, you, that's the stuff of good musicals because they've just got this engine in them. Um, so can I ask you a question, Lynn? I'm curious, in between like the heights, how does, as a working artist, because you said how long it took for you to get to Hamilton, yeah. like what are you doing in the in-between years? It was, I'm it, writing I, Sesame yeah. Street songs for Bill Sherman. That's okay. <laughs> That's how you pay the bills. That's what I was curious about. <laughs> I mean, no, 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 honestly, no, 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 no. Yeah. Well, hold on. We haven't completed this full story. So we graduated yeah. from college. All right. So okay. we graduated from college. We didn't even get the freestyle of Supreme. Wait, hold on. We're getting there. That's so there you go. <laughs> so Lynn, so we graduated from college and then, so we both moved home for like six months. I never moved home. I went straight oh, to that home. apartment. Okay. Yeah. So he, we, we, I knew if I moved home, I'd stay. So we I have didn't this give apartment. myself a choice. So Lynn rents this apartment with two other people. It's 5,000 Broadway. <laughs> and so 212 street, <laughs> which is like, 20 blocks, no, like 10 blocks from Lynn's parents who live on beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop, street. Oh, yeah, Jesus give that address Christ. too. So <laughs> I forgot you're like an important person. Stop looking at me like that. So, 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 uh, okay. So I move into this apartment. So if it rains outside, it rains inside. We yeah, make pizza. Roof. We make pizza bagels like solely because we don't have any money. We and skateboard. Beans. I got real into bushes. Yeah, baked beans. beans. Uh, we skateboard. Roll, baby, bean footage. <laughs> we get. We skateboard in the house. There's like a mattress. Like if you fall on the skateboard, you take a nap on the mattress. Like it's gross. It's gross. And you bring people there, and they're like, "This is fucking gross." Anyway, we lived there for like four years. Ooh. And, and I, I was worked, just a substitute teacher. Right. And I worked at MTV because my dad got me a job working in the IT department at MTV. So I was like answering emails sent into MTV. This is all true. Nerd. And yes, during, during my lunch breaks, Lynn and I would meet at the drama bookshop, which was then on 40th Street between something and something. And we would go down in this basement and we would work on In the Heights. So he would bring a song. We would do a thing, blah, 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 blah. With Tommy Kale I'm, and Alpha and more like that crew. Right. And this went on for years. And then, and then finally... After, you know, charming enough people and doing enough work, we, we, we went up off Broadway on, on 37 Arts on 37th Street. And that was like an amazing, humongous moment. Meanwhile, we're both, he's still subbing. I'm still working this totally dead end job. At one point, I think I was like being paid to transcribe things for people. Like for music. total request live. Yeah, translator for Carson Daly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, more or less. Whatever. You got a job at TRL. Carson Daly. Uh, uh, what else? We other we had other weird jobs, Lynn. What else? Oh, Lynn wrote music for his dad's like campaign ads. ads. Yeah, just like I mean, that's the easiest gig of just like sad chord. This politician wants yeah. to kick puppies. Yo, that's crazy because as your career is blowing up, so is your dad's. Like he's going in a whole different. Okay, so go ahead, Bill. <laughs> yeah. So. Every Sunday, we would go to Lynn's parents' house and watch The Sopranos. Sopranos live, and like when it Sopranos aired. Sopranos live, like we would get off the stage. Because they would feed us, and they had cable, and we didn't. Right, and we had no food. So it was like the only real meal we ate was every Sunday at Lynn's parents' house with like Lynn's grandmother, his cousin, like his parents. It was awesome. And we went every Sunday, and we and walked there. watched The Sopranos every week. Yeah. 
Yeah. In fact, we saw the last Cabo Goo. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then in the Heights went went up off Broadway, 2008. Yeah. And we were like, holy shit. And then shit. my first acting job, uh, my first TV job was on the last season of The Sopranos. I got on. I was a bellhop. Oh, wow. bellhop. That's Look a it up. To go paging Mr. Herman. Paging Mr. Herman. <laughs> bellhop. <laughs> Literally, my line is. Deep cut. I don't know. Deep cut. I don't know. And I'm so green, you can <laughs> see it. me look down from my mark where to stop in the episode. You wow. see me go. Wait, do you know the name of the episode? I'm sorry, my Apple TV is right in front of me right now. I gotta <laughs> see called, this. It's season you missed six. It. It's called Remember When. Amir, you missed the reenactment. Damn, Lynn was about to do it. I think yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm more, I don't know. I don't know. And then uh, Gandolfini goes, fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but you got to share screen time with the great Gandolfini. I did. And I Paulie, did. Paulie was in that scene too, right? Paulie was in that scene did he? too. Yeah. No, no Paulie's alive. Okay, that was put. Okay, Paulie is pussy. No, pussy is different. Okay, I, I gotta go back. Damn, you're in the last. Wow, that's amazing. So Wait, this Bill, is not when go- he went to Vegas, right? Oh, yeah. To trip. Quick plug stopped talking to him. Watch it. Watch it. Five minutes ago. God, give us. I'm sorry. Watching The Sopranos. So, this, is, this is what happens on Questlove Supreme. I'm still listening. Go ahead. So during this time, getting towards Off-Broadway, uh, I moved out of that house and moved in with my girlfriend, who then became my wife. Dun, dun, and, dun. Then, and, <laughs> and then... And then... Wait, where'd that come from? world of pure imagination. Oh, yes. And then, and then, Yo, right on time. You're welcome. We were we were rehearsing that before we did this. Uh, and then what happened? Uh, Lynn Lynn started dating his now wife. We had children anyway. And so then in the heights <laughs> happens, and we have careers. Poof, careers. Man, how long was uh in the heights? How long was writing that that process? It was from I mean, basically from the moment I met Tommy Kale when I graduated in two thousand and two to uh, opening night, like January of two thousand and eight. It was my twenty. Like basically in the heights was my twenties. Hamilton was my thirties. <laughs> so, like, with lots so with, of other gigs and 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 um, sort of amazing things in between, but those are the broad strokes. Yeah. Uh, so, with theater, I'm I'm curious to know how long do you have, I guess, to edit something before it goes up. You know how if, you, if something opens January one, you know, oh, in terms of deadline. like previews. Yeah, previews you know, for, are just yeah. Every show is different for. Um, for Heights, we gave ourselves a solid four weeks so that we could make changes because the audience mm. is the last collaborator and and they'll they'll tell you what's working, what's not, and what needs finessing. And it may not even be the writing of it. It may be that that number's not ending with the right light or this dance sequence isn't landing the way we want it to land. So pre- that's what previews is for, is to get the audience in. That's why you get, go to Joe's Pub and... Information. The public yeah. feels kind of so, like shedding, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and Ham- I mean, Hamilton was interesting because we did the first performance at the public and it well, it ran at three hours and ten minutes? Three mm-hmm. Hours? Mm-hmm. Yeah, about three hours and ten minutes. And it was sort of like, well, shit, I like Les Mis, but I don't want to be longer than Les Mis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so first, not, and, and Tommy was so, you know, Tommy is is smart full stop but he's also politically really smart because sometimes people get salty when their stuff is cut like you can do 
cuts the wrong way in a way mm-hmm. that the cast doesn't feel in on it. Yeah. And he said, the first thing we need to do is cut any song addressing any character that is not on stage. And I had a hot 16 bars about John Adams, who was never played by anyone. It was like an offstage address. And that was the first thing we cut. And it was great because it also sent a message to the rest of the cast. Like, we just cut the composer's best 16. So this is not and, about... And nobody safe. Hell yeah. Anybody yeah, can but get it. It's also like, it's not about you. It's about <laughs> right, the show. It's about, it's about the about production. It's about what's best for the show. It's not about whether you're doing it well or not. Like, right. this is about honing the material. So we cut all my shit first and brought like brought down 10 minutes and then and then you know we got it down to about we got it down to like 250 at the public Mm, and then we used the jump to broadway to cut another 15 minutes so before it goes to broadway you have the previews that are for an audience where that's almost kind of like i don't say a focus group but that's where you like you said that's it's a nightly focus group and it's and again it's also it's not even about like they laughed at this, they didn't laugh at this, because sometimes you get the wrong laugh. Like we had mm. a line in History Has Its Eyes on You where Chris Jackson was getting a laugh at the top of the song because I can't remember what it was, but he basically oh, the name checks the French and Indian War and the nerds in the audience are like, ha, 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 I, know, I know about that. And it was like, no, no, we don't want to laugh here. Like that may yeah. be true, but it's a laugh when we don't need it. Um, similar with the LL quote, we had a, we had a, we used to have an I need love quote in the show. Um, in That's the song right. about the affair. Um, right. The, that song used to start when I'm alone in my room. Sometimes and I you look took at it the out. Wall and the, yeah, right. I, I took it out because the audience was laughing at the reference and they weren't listening to what was happening. To what was saying, yeah. You know, like it was a great reference. And even LL reached out, was like, you can clear it. I'm cool with it. Um, And that was amazing. He like literally like tweeted at me, like, let's talk about it. But it it was was, was just a laugh at the wrong moment. So we we cut it. Yeah, I saw um, In the Heights. um, I still I've I've still yet to watch Hamilton. I saw In the Heights, uh, a local um, original theater group did it here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And a good friend of mine, Carly Jones, she played Camilla. (laughs) <laughs> and um we saw it and it was a great show man i hit bill afterwards i sent him the program i was like yo this was this is really dope because i'm not a theater guy you know at all you know i hadn't really you know that's why i just hearing all these stories i'm just curious to know like how they're worked out and how they're fleshed out and you know when you say you started something in 02 and y'all were working on it up until 08 it's like damn like you yeah, know how, just how many that because i feel like you would shine oh, on yeah. in theater Oh yeah, indeed, absolutely. But in Fonda, you should be in Hamilton. In the new, in, <laughs> in I mean, in a new version of it. Not again. Like I feel like there's not jazz hands, thirties. No. Yeah, but you should have like you should have a writing fine. input too, though. Not just the performance. Well, again, right. like yeah. that. I have to say, like after Heights closed, we ran from 2008 through the end of 2010. There was a part of me that was a little frustrated that hip hop land was over here and musical theater was over here. And there was so little Venn diagram. Like I could not get the hip hop artists I admired to into the Rogers. I could not get awareness of the show in the hip hop community. It, it did well in the Latin community and it brought Latin audiences to Broadway in a big way while it was there. But it was just like, no one was even checking for it. I felt like I was jumping up and waving my arms and and it hadn't happened in a real way. Like I remember Run DMC came to the show, like a couple of like 
like legends came and they were, it was really like huge for me. Um, but with, with Hamilton, I just, I, I remember wanting, so I was just like, this thing is such a fucking love letter to hip hop. Like mm. it would be a shame. And I know it's sailing over the heads of the strictly musical theater fans. who are not getting the 10 crack commandments reference or the mob deep reference or the, you know, brand Nubian reference. Um, Cause it's all the nineties hip hop shit. I like, I crammed into the show. Um, and so um, do you think was, price was, point was an issue because maybe not, not for those, those famous people, but for their audience or for the people who surround them that they couldn't have a conversation with. I think they, it's, I think it's always an issue. Yeah. I think it's one of the biggest issues facing theater. I mean, that's, I ain't gonna lie, I definitely wanted to see it, and I still have yet. I gotta now. I gotta get Disney Plus. It's <laughs> a barrier. Yeah, or Disney Plus password. Or, oh yes, I said I've, I'm working on that. Up, up to six devices, friends. Uh, hey, thank you, right. thank you, Lynn. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. So I was I was really gratified when Hamilton was received the way it was because the the, the folks that I knew would enjoy it were able yeah. to see it. Yeah. Have you seen it? Have you seen it now since it's on Disney Plus and it's becoming more accessible? Um, do you have you seen or do you foresee uh, an influx of it being used as a tool in teaching, like in school and, and stuff like that? Yeah. Well, that was one of the first things that we realized coming out of it. Like two hundred and fifty thousand students have seen Hamilton uh, thanks to Edgeham, this educational program we did, because we realized really quick, like, oh, this is becoming a a, a buzz that is bigger than we can control. And if kids yeah. can't see the show, we fucked up because this is like a semester of AP U.S. history in about <laughs> two and a half hours. Um, wow. And so we partnered with a, a, um, a nonprofit called the Gilder Lerman Association that basically deals in teaching American history. And um, we created Edgeham, which is these dedicated shows that are these student matinees. We start with the students do a curriculum where they write about whoever they want mm. in American history. And we, I mean, you can go, if you Google Edgeham, you'll see the most amazing shit like Phyllis Wheatley poems and oh, uh, Sally Hemings songs. And like people really like take the assignment and like, of like, oh, what's the history I'm not learning about? I'm going to write about that. And they perform it for us. They get their Broadway debut and they perform on stage and the best group from each school performs and they all scream for each other. Then they do a Q and A with the cast and then we perform the matinee for them. And it's the, it's the biggest legacy of the show because I feel like it opens up, um, it opens up history in a way that says, this is yours. Mm -hmm. This is yours. And go ahead. Oh no, no. Uh, now I was just going to ask you, um, you know, in regards to Hamilton, uh, this was a couple, this is a while back. Um, you were on Twitter and, uh, Tracy Clayton, uh, who yeah, is Tracy. Oh, okay, player family. <laughs> I was like, we all kind of go way back, but um, y'all were having a discussion about uh, about Hamilton, and you were very open, like, to the criticisms of like, you know, it what didn't really address kind of the horrors of slavery and him being like the slave owner, like all that stuff. And you know, and I, I thought what you said was very fair of just like, look, I tried to get in what I could. I only had you know two and a half hours, you know. Um, how do you decide what to cut, what to leave in, uh, what's pertinent to the story? Um, how do you, I guess, yeah. how do you wrestle with all that and tell them the story? Every show is different. With Hamilton, the relentlessness was the thing. Like, if it didn't, I mean, we had, we cut characters because they weren't in Hamilton's life for long enough. You know, mm -hmm. like, the guy who eulogized him is not in the show because he didn't meet him till later in his life. Um, ben Franklin... 
kind of an important guy not in the show uh, because he didn't interact with Hamilton happened. enough. Um, and so it's interesting when, when you have the success that Hamilton has had, what, what happens is everyone like gets interested because the show has made them interested. And then they go and they do their research and they go, wait a minute. Well, hold you didn't up, put this in, you didn't put this in, you didn't put this in, you didn't put this in. And I'm, and, and I'm over here like, I know I've been researching this thing for six fucking years, but I, I, I wanted to get, you know, I'm writing a musical. I'm not writing a history report. History, yeah. And so I'm, I'm open to the criticism because I know what's on the cutting room floor. And I know that, um, you know, I, I, you know, it, it's interesting. Like I remember in the first year, um, people really discovered John Lawrence. John Lawrence was the mm-hmm. most anti-slavery of that group of friends. Um, and he also, people believe, and, and there's a really strong case for it, that he and Hamilton were lovers. Um, mm. Like the letters they write to each other are just as passionate as some of the ones Hamilton wrote to Eliza. Mm. And people said, what about this? And I said, yeah, maybe, probably. Yeah. The thing is, Lawrence doesn't survive the act. So I can't really go there <laughs> because I, I, I'm not going to get to explore it in act two. So that's why I didn't explore that facet of him. Yes. Did, you, did again, you get to lean on other? I'm curious because there's a lot of people who've had the experience of creating biopics or, you know, things based on people's lives. Did you ever have to talk to other folks that had that similar experience that they had to cut out stuff and they were criticized? Because I thought about, as you were talking, I was like, yeah, I know. I remember people came in Spike Lee because even with that long ass movie, it wasn't enough for Malcolm X. For Malcolm X, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's just the part of the, and, and, the o- and, and the only thing you can say is, Everyone's right. So, like, it's not all in there. And also, like, criticism is not cancellation. It's criticism. And Ooh. I can take criticism. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's, I'm, I'm, I'm a big boy and I know what's not in there. And um, what I console myself with is it sparks conversations about what's not in it and about the faults of these folks and and how flawed the documents are and how flawed these men were. The, the, the thing I, I take issue with is, I don't think we'd glorify these guys for a second. I just don't think that was not my aim. Mm-hmm. Um, my aim was to tell as compelling a story as I have while I have you in that theater for two and a half hours and paint them as flawed as a piece of musical theater can paint them. Um, but like, yes, you're all right. That's not in it. That's not in it. That's not in it. That's not in it. Like, yeah. and you know, and, and, and this was the springboard for that discussion. Yeah. Do you think, um, you know, cause seeing in the Heights and just seeing, um yeah just seeing like all like just you know black and latino faces on stage you know what i mean um that was probably the first uh theater you know show i've been to since i was small you know i hadn't been in like decades and um you know do you think that these stories and the way you're telling them have you seen that open the door for more black and latino people to tell their stories on broadway yeah i mean I'm always pessimistic about Broadway. I'm actually really optimistic about this moment because we're in the middle of a civil rights movement in our country and business is on pause. So you cannot say you don't have time to deal with this. You cannot say you don't have time to talk about equity and the kinds of stories you're choosing to put your money into as Broadway producers. Um, But listen, I, I started writing In the Heights because... I don't dance well enough to be in West Side Story. <laughs> and I, when I was a senior in high school, this musical by Paul Simon called The Cape Man came out. And okay. it was about 
Puerto Rican gang members in the 1950s. And as much as I love Paul Simon, I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is a very overrepresented group on Broadway at this point. Puerto Rican (laughs) gang members from the 1950s. Can we literally have a show where we don't have a fucking knife in our hands? Um, And so In the Heights was born out of an, oh shit, no one's going to write your dream show. Because Paul Simon's one of my favorite writers. He did yeah, not write my dream show. Yeah, but what do you know show. about Puerto Rican? Like, I'm not, I'm not expecting Paul Simon right. to and tell he, that story. And yeah. he loved the music, and he wrote music that really fits in that world. But, like, I just I just remember, because it, it also had Mark Anthony, it had Ruben Blades. Like, it had a lot of my heroes wow. in it. Like, I remember mm. having the highest hopes of, like, oh, shit, here comes your dream show. It's the Cape Man. And then it super wasn't. And I, <laughs> it was, like, it was the wake-up moment of, like, you have to create the thing that you want to that exist you want, for it to exist so, because no one's going to make it. Interestingly enough, when we, when I in the Heights first came out, we got bad press saying that like in the Heights didn't have enough teeth. Like it wasn't a real representation of Washington Heights because yeah, the critics people were like, didn't where are have the knives. drugs? Where are the knives? And we Is were like, that's all it's about. We like, but we were like, we live there. It's like, <laughs> we, we live there, man. Like we like we live right. there the whole time, yeah. you know. Because if your only access to a neighborhood is seeing it on the eleven o'clock news and you have no engagement with it beyond that, that's all that's you all think you it see. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was um, I was curious what spoke to y'all, you and Bill, since we talked about there weren't many spaces for hip hop in that way. But when you were growing up, like what were the shows? I know you listened to the cast albums. What were the shows that spoke to y'all that said, this is, I might want to be in this. Well, again, I'm born in 1980. So there's Mm -hmm. just never a point where hip hop's not a part of my life. I have an older sister. She gets all the credit for my hip hop education. She took me to Beat Street in the theater. I cried. Beat yeah. Street was in the theater. Yeah, I saw Beat Street. Yeah, Beat Street in the theater. She took me to Wild Style. She took me to Crush Groove for my sixth grade graduation. My sister's present to me was a pair of Jerbo jeans, and she took me to see Class Act starring Kitty Clay. <laughs> oh my God. Um, <laughs> Motherfucking Blade Brown. Sister, you'd be like, that's her. That's hip hop. Straight wow. up. Right Blade Brown, son. I stole her Black Sheep album. I stole her De La Sola's Dead album. Like, that was. Like digging in my sister's albums was how I fell in love with hip hop and funny. my way in. It's funny y'all say that because somebody, I, I told somebody yesterday that we were interviewing Lynn and he literally were like, do you do, make sure you bring up the fact that Kid and Play changed how hip hop was perceived in, in media and changed the way, like started the real diversification of hip hop. And I was like, I never mm-hmm. thought about that like that. Kid and Play. Is, yeah, y'all Kid feel Play, like, class act. Yeah. Yeah. House Party, shit. House Party. Well, no, house Party was, was amazing. Well, but, with the cartoon yeah. too. With the cartoon. Yeah, they had a cartoon, yeah. Yeah. Here's another and great all thing. Those of- sequels, House Party 3 has one of the funniest lines Immature in all House of cinema Party? history when they accidentally give the grandma the porno instead of the Ninja yeah, that Turtles. Turtles. That's ass. That's, that's <laughs> not a Ninja Turtle. That's an ass. <laughs> one of the funniest lines in cinema history. What Lynn's about Lynn is like Amir going record shopping for people. One of Lynn's great things when we were younger was he would make mixed CDs like for everything and all the time. And so like we had this bathroom that had like um this wallpaper sort of stuff. Yeah, we had, holder we had CD sleeve that had like wallpaper. F- like hundreds of mixed CDs. So like we had this we had a boom box. What the fuck you call it? A CD player in the bathroom, and it was only in the bathroom. So we would play. We'd turn on his big CDs and we'd listen to everything. And so, like, those were the days of like pun and and that kind of stuff and big. Like, that's all we listened to. It was like really heavy Latin music. So, like, 
Juan Luis Guerra and Alberto Santa Rosa and like Willie Juan Colon. Guerra. Wow, and then dude. like fucking just like hip hop all day long and like all this stuff that we we're talking about. And so that's also where I sort of was that your Juan Luis Guerra dance? I did the the dance, yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. Right. Yeah. That was, that was my New York salsa. Just with yeah. all the um, the speaking of dance, like with all the um, the dancers, like specifically in the heist, like the break dancing that you found, were they were those people on Broadway that already knew how to break, or did you have to go and find it breakers? Mix. It was a mix of like breakers and folks who had who had a little theater experience, but we had a lot of debuts within the Heights. Like there were wow. so many debuts with Heights and with Hamilton. Uh, Ramos mm. made his debut, David made his debut. Like, you know, the the thing is, the shows I write are made for people who don't ordinarily get invited to get us on the board. Mm. Like, so with Heights, Bring It On broke the record for the number of debuts. We had 32 Broadway debuts with that show. Um, and that's the one I wrote, I co-wrote in between uh, in the Heights and Hamilton, but you know, it's sort of the same principles at work, like of just like pop music and theater music should be friends. Like, there's no reason there should be a separation there. Is there a pressure to bring uh, a name to the show when you present it? I remember um, in uh, in Fela, maybe d- during the last, or the, well, not during the last run, but basically us getting a name would ensure that it could have an additional four months, an additional. That, that, sort that of pressure thing. comes with time, I think. I think, and every show goes through a version of it where the you hope the novelty of a new musical catches on and the word of mouth catches on. Um, but there's a point at which the professional Broadway goers have all seen it, um, and unless you have something to attract them, you know, and that's when the name thing comes. But like, I remember a Broadway producer told me like. Getting a name, a quote-unquote celebrity name to be in your show is like starting hard drugs. Like, you don't get off it once you, you start it. Yeah. <laughs> you can't put so-and-so from Dancing the Stars and then have, like, just a talented guy who auditioned after him. <laughs> like, once you're on that ride, you don't get off. Wow. Who's the Who's the biggest name that we would know that has approached you about wanting to do Hamilton for, like, a second, like you, every, dude. I got every three months. white actor wants to play King George. Really? Yeah, because they, yeah, because they love Hamilton, it, but they know it's not right to ask to play Hamilton or Burr because those are for us, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and so they go, "Can I play King George?" I mean, insert white celebrity here, and they go, "Can I?" And also, they realize it's not a lot of work. It's one song and two reprises. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Okay. So that's been the most, probably most requested. It's like mad famous white people are like, I could play King George. <laughs> the, the way that, the way that, uh, I don't know the system of, of how Broadway works, but is it that only in your first year are you eligible for Tony run? And then yes. that's it. Tony, Tony happens sort of within the season in which you come out, which pre pandemic was sort of, June, because that's when the Tonys are, to June right. to like May, April, May of the following year. And then that's your that's your class. Okay. So if there wasn't uh if there wasn't a pandemic and say Clooney wanted to or Brad Brad Pitt wanted to play uh King George and he killed it, would he would he be no way eligible? He gets it, Tony. it would be for the love of the game. Yeah. 
Wow. Oh, okay. that, that, that already happened. Yeah, there's no, there have been occasionally campaigns for a Tony um, award for like best replacement. Which I think is honestly like celebrities being like, "Can I just be in Chicago and wow. maybe get a Tony?" Oh, so <laughs> Tony, yeah. there you got, there you got, and sometimes it's really like warranted. You know, like I remember seeing, you know, the most famous case is uh, they did a production of Annie Get Your Gun with Bernadette Peters, and she was amazing. But then they got like Reba McIntyre, oh. and like nobody's more fucking perfect for that part than Reba McIntyre, wow. wow. and so people were like. Man, I wish there was a Tony for best replacement because she really like transformed the show. Right. So, um, so, so there's a case to be. But made. they do have a revival category. So how long would Hamilton have to be dormant for it to get best revival? Or is it a five or ten year rule? I don't think there's a hard and fast rule. You just get like, I guess like Broadway people being like, "That was quick that you're back." Um, <laughs> like I remember when like Les Mis did their. Revival, everyone was like, Les Mis was closed? Yeah. I didn't even know exactly. Les Mis was closed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you I'm know? curious to know, man, what are some of your favorite musicals? Because I'm, you know, at, this is all, like, it's very new to me. And um, I remember, um, I actually, you talk about theater. Not a thing, but I actually did hair when I was a senior in high school. Did um, you? Yeah, you did. I did. I did. I, I was hood. But, but it was come on, man. This was in high school. This is in Greenville, <laughs> okay. North Carolina. Like we had to cut all kind of shit out of the play. Like it was so much. So no one you know, got naked. Material. Okay. Nah, no, boys, nobody got boys medley. Nah, we didn't. We cut that shit out. We we it was so much. A lot <laughs> of the drug references appropriate for us, <laughs> bro. That shit was like an hour <laughs> fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah, that shit was an episode of Dateline, nigga. So you know what I mean. But like, but yeah, but but I did it. But um, but now, so I was curious to know, like, uh, what are some of your favorite musicals and like what makes them good? Because to me, just kind of as an outsider, it all kind of sounds the same. Like, Hair spoke to me because I knew Pete Rock sample the break. Oh, I go. Yeah, yeah. James Rado was just like just wrote great bass shit. Like, and Galt McDermott, you know what I'm saying? Incredible bass lines in all of Galt McDermott's shit. So, like, from that, all of his stuff, like, boom, 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 boom. I can tell y'all ain't gonna shout out Annie in this episode. Annie ain't gonna get no love, but that's fine. It's a girl thing. It's fine. Dude, Annie. It's fine. Well, I was gonna start with Annie. Thank you. You know what? You know what? Wait, the secret, secret fact I was part of the of the of the letter writing process of Jay Z asking permission to use that sample. Oh, to use hard knock. Oh, like, I don't like, know if I. He talked about I don't know if I can. Right? He was. Charles Strauss. He was like, I listened to this and it gave me faith that I was going to get out one day. Oh wait, <laughs> it, it, that that letter got out. It's in his book. Oh, I read Jay-Z's book. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I, well, that's right after Hamilton, right before Hamilton. He read Jay-Z's I, book. I was I, I was the sounding right board for do you think this will work? And I was like, oh, okay. Like for and I, I was life? like, this really happened? Like, nigga, no. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> no, I do not. Still one of the best songs of all musical time, yeah. outside of everything that happened in the Wiz. So Andy, like, what's uh, what's the, your take on Cats? I've never seen Cats, but like, I've heard it kind of get trashed later in. I was not you know. a Cats guy. So like, when I was a kid, 
you know, my parents had a lot of cast albums, but mm-hmm. I was like a lot of Hamilton fans in that, like, I just kind of imagined the shows. We didn't have money for Broadway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no production of Man of La Mancha is going to match my mental version of Man of La Mancha. I've still never seen it. Um, but we saw the, like, 80s holy trinity of Phantom, Les Mis, and Cats. Those were the mm-hmm. three musicals in the 80s. And Les Mis, like, what I remember most about it I fell asleep. I was seven. I remember sort of the the fact that um, the confrontation, which is as hip hop as that show gets, where it's like mm-hmm. Valjean and Javert singing their parts at each other. And I, I always wanted a meth red man version of the confrontation. In <laughs> oh, <Les Mis>. <laughs> wow. Of just like, I am warning you, Javert. And they're just like fucking <laughs> yelling at each other. Um, I love that song. I'm just glad they made it a movie so I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get into the movie. I tried. I was like, I, I couldn't. I, couldn't get so I had to let it go through once. Just but but what I remember the most is my parents buying the two CD set. It was like one of the first CDs we owned because wow. this is when they still sold them in the long boxes. In the long box, hell yeah. And um, my Room mom section. would cry every time they played. She would play Bring Him Home and just like weep. And I remember, I think the seeing how that music affected my parents made it more interesting to me. Like the fact that it could make my parents cry was a huge deal. And then Phantom was just my shit. Like Phantom is about an ugly songwriter who's like, if you don't like me, I'm going to fuck everybody up. I was 12 and I related to that. I was like, yes, go on Phantom. Um, (laughs) And then Cats, like I just remember the cats coming out and pawing at you in the audience. I I, I didn't really have any patience. (laughs) I I, I didn't get it and I wasn't into it. Like it had a moment I wasn't. I, I missed the moment. I was too young. Any well, not any thoughts on the movie, but is there fear or trepidation when something that's such a sure shot doesn't translate well on screen? But that was never a sure shot. That's that's the that's, <laughs> that's the, the thing point. is that like you okay, was, from outside looking in. Never hot. Time out for, yeah. from the outside looking in. Yeah. I it saw, was the guy who directed Les Mis. It was all movie, cast. It was right. Never From the outside looking in, looking in, I'm thinking like, okay, they got all their all their porns in a row, and and it's coming out for Christmas. And how can I not expect this to be like? This is it. Like what? Yeah. What okay. happened? How did that turn into Ishtar? Because it's about cats, <laughs> and it has Point no blank, plot. Period. It has. Yeah. So it has one incredible 80s ballad for the ages with memory and Jennifer Hudson singing that is not enough for a whole movie, although it is a wonderful sequence in the movie. Um, And is this the Quincy Jones can't polish doo-doo? No, it's not that it's it's even doo-doo. It's that it was sort of like this cult favorite that I think was successful because it was so out of the box that you had to see it. And then I think it ran a long time because you don't need to speak a word of English to enjoy Cats. So it was a huge international hit. You could just be like, what's on Broadway? Like you come from any country in the world, what's on Broadway? Cats, let's go see Cats. Like it just became this hit that you had to see. It just, it became synonymous with Broadway in a very real way. But if you look, if you actually took a closer look, like there's no story. These cats all say, I want to go. I, this is a song about me. This is a song about me. Jennifer Hudson sings "Memory." Okay, it's her. Let's go. <laughs> <It's a lot laughs> of yeah. See, Do y'all remember I, the last play that worked on film? 
I, I see. That's the, the well. Wiz, it's interesting oh, because no. the Wiz was pan too. No, the Wiz don't do that to the. We're not gonna have this conversation. Let's just pan. go fast forward. It was the Wiz meant everything Wiz. to me. Lynn, are you but ready Wiz for a was black panned. conversation? Because it's about to be a real black conversation about the Wiz. Here we go. I don't Let's know why he had to you, do that because have... I was trying to avoid the Wiz. I was trying no, to. The Wiz, listen, no. the Wiz is one of the greatest horror movies of our time. I said <laughs> it is. It was and scary. You're, and you're it was thinking of the trash monsters as you say it. It was yeah. scary. You know yeah. The Wiz on Mushrooms is even better. I could well, believe. I'll, I'll bet Cats on Mushrooms is is a much more enjoyable. <laughs> but seriously, y'all, is there an answer? So, sober. Is there an answer to that question? Has there been a great the best film? Joint? The best play so, on film. So here's my thing. I I believe there are great movie musicals. I think adapting a stage musical to film is one of the hardest things you can do. I like the chorus um, line. You like the chorus line movie? You like the chorus line the movie? I did. Is there? A, do you have a? I watched it like fifteen times. Are you? Uh, I've never seen. Well, it. I think if you watch the chorus line the show first, oh, the chorus line the movie is like seen. what's happening? Okay. Really? Okay. Yeah. It's about how you experience it, you know, oh. because there's great performances in the chorus line movie, but the show is so much about that line and everyone being equal. That like the movie is like, where are we? What's happening? Yeah. Like, Weird. why so, are we following Michael Douglas? What? what? <laughs> Hold up, Michael Douglas. Yes, he was the director. What? What are you talking about? He's the director. Hey, I will hey, sing hey, every hey. song up in here. Don't so knowing that you have that level of scrutiny as a fan, you you still treat movies and you know you're still a fan first before you're a suit. How much adjustment did you have to make to in the heights? The movie. The goal, I think the gold standard of an adapt, a movie adaptation is Cabaret. The Cabaret movie mm. is completely different from the show. Okay. You wouldn't mm. recognize it, but it's genius. And it is its own thing. And when you go see the show, it is genius in its own way, but it's, it's just they're different things. And that's how we approached In the Heights. We were like, yeah. we cannot put the show on stage. No, it it's a work. different medium. Yeah. You can't put a two-act show in a three-act structure. Um, and so a lot of the credit for, I think Heights is an amazing adaptation, but a lot of the credit goes to Kiara, who really had distance from it when she wrote the screenplay. She was, the, she was my co-writer for the show. And um, she wrote the libretto for the show. Um, and she made a bunch of really bold choices um, to update it. That means cutting some songs. That means, but it also means opening up the world uh, in the way. The other thing we did that was so important was we shot on location. And we cast this thing like, you can't just be like Hollywood good. You have to like be... You have to not look out of place on 175th and Wadsworth. Mm. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like you've got to, it's, it's got to work it's be on some the authenticity. Yeah. yeah. It's got to yeah. have real authenticity. And, um, and so I think our movie is a really good adaptation because it's not faithful, but it's faithful in the right ways. It's faithful to the spirit, but not the, this happens and this happens, this happens and this happens. Like, I think that's, where like I think that's where the Rent movie is less successful. They use the original mm. cast fifteen years after the fact, and they're all incredibly talented. But those aren't twenty somethings anymore. Yeah, it's a different story. It's a different right? story. Yeah, 100%. It just is a different story, and so you know that's that's the tricky thing. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, 
What I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Now, this is totally off subject, but I feel like only you can explain this to me. Okay, so in quarantining, I got caught up. One of the best movie uh, podcasts that you can listen to is the A24 channel. Oh, I haven't okay. heard it. Oh, they got oh, a podcast? Dude. The production company? No, the fu- yo, the the Safety brothers and Paul Thomas Anderson alone, that episode, where they have oh like God. directors interview each other. So when... Yeah. Uh, Uncut Gems came out. Paul Thomas Anderson interviewed the Safdie brothers. But there's an episode where Martin Scorsese finally talks about New York, New York. And as a Scorsese fan, for the life of me, and this is weird, of all the films, what convinced Michael Jackson to do the bad film with Scorsese was New York, New York. He had never seen... Raging Bull, none of that stuff. But as a Scorsese fan, I knew that he had a nervous breakdown doing New York, New York. But I never yeah. knew how that film. I I don't know if I I can't judge musicals on film to know. Like I'm like like you with the quarter line. Like I like everything. Like I'm the guy that saw Stand Alive and was like, it was good, right? I saw Xanadu do like Xanadu. Oh my god! But I like the the music and Xanadu. But that's the thing. You you can't trust nothing under if you're under the age of twelve, you like anything. That's right. We like the Wiz. You know what I'm saying? Probably right after Beat Street. Right. I liked all that shit. I didn't realize that all the shit was panned. Yeah, yeah. Y'all gonna stop bumping in the wind. What I'm asking is was assuming that you least saw New York, New York, was it bad or like I don't think it was so much that it was bad. I just think it was an uneasy mix of styles. It's Jake LaMotta in a musical. It's <laughs> Travis Bickle in a musical. Like, 
Scorsese doesn't stop Scorseseing, and he's mean to Liza Minnelli, and he beats her up. Um, but then you're bursting into song, and I don't think they figured out a way. That shit don't match to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember this movie. Y'all gonna make me go watch it? Okay. <laughs> Similar to Jungle Fever, like for some reason, Scorsese won't let this out on. Uh, oh, any you know, service? I know it's really hard to find. It is extremely somewhere in my storage room. But this is my first time ever hearing of this movie. Me I've too. never heard of it. Yeah. He and, did it. And he the did song it after that closes a, all the Yankee games is from that movie that was never written for a musical. Like that was written for that movie. And then Sinatra did his own version. And, you know, Candor. And Eb, like, don't love Sinatra's version. They're like, he fucked up all the lyrics. <laughs> but that's the version we <laughs> that's all know. That's the version, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the, right. Yeah, he, he did it in uh, 77 after Taxi Driver, right? Hey, number one. Hey, number one. You just said that shit twice. <laughs> right. Yeah, Scorsese did it in, in uh, 76 or 77, right 77. after Taxi Driver. And it it was almost like it's his version of I love. Well, I'm interested only because that's his apocalypse now as far as how it nearly destroyed him. Like he almost didn't make Raging Bull because he was almost driven to the brink of suicide because of this film. (laughs) I'm not. I'm going to bring up the Wiz one more time. Okay. All right. Uh Oh, okay. Um, There's a a, I mean, any director like you read making movies by Sidney Lumet, Sidney Lumet made Mm -hmm. Serpico and Dog Day Afternoon and directed the Wiz. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's one of the few times he cops to a mistake in the book. All he says is, I felt the look of the movie getting away from me. I felt Mm -hmm. like a distance between what I pictured and mm. what my different departments were making. And when they were doing the, um, the Emerald city sequence and, you know, it's a, those beautiful dancers mm-hmm. and like the colors change and then all You've their outfits the change. Yeah. Like oh, they couldn't use red. half the footage because the gel was so hot that it like, ex- like blew out the exposure. <sighs> um, so it was sort of, um, I mean, you will never get a better cast again in the history of movies than the cast of The Wiz. But what and the music. The joy- I'm sorry, I got selfish plug. Uh, and the new like, you can't win is not in the stage show. You can't win. Wow. I mean, it's not in the stage. It's not in the stage show. It's not in the stage show. No. That's now, the only game now I it's in the stage show. <laughs> you don't remember like, home? Is that what we do in Fonte? You don't remember I mean, home? Home was the home, but I'm just saying. I mean, you've seen Jasmine Sullivan as like a two year old singing. Yes. Home, right? Have you seen yeah, yeah. I mean, well, there's a lot of new songs. Well, in the Quincy and the unheard Quincy episode. He he did six new songs for the Wiz yeah. that you know that's why he was up all night writing them. You know he's writing them joints on the spot. That that Emer- that Emerald uh, Him City and sequence. Charlie Smalls who wrote most of the music. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the the songs that weren't yeah. Charlie involved. Like I know, but his name doesn't get said. So he was literally name. flying by the the seat of his pants, like writing stuff three days before they were due on set. And the choreographers yeah. didn't even have the shit ready, and like they were kind of winging it. Sounds like a Miranda so, deadline. Yeah, I got, I got to imagine <laughs> that being like a nightmare. Miranda deadline. Yeah, you know yeah. what? I was going to how do you? I'm, I, I'm a last I was minute. Asking, how do you pick your projects? What? Like between just you know being you know uh, playwright, actor, uh, you know MC, songwriter. Like, I have, how do you pick? I have, I, I try to go by two criteria. One, am I going to learn from this? 
a thing that I can like. Wow. I always think of the Devry Technical School yeah. commercials. Get up off your ass. Those commercials what you doing? Where it's like, <laughs> like you ain't doing shit. <laughs> Take like, your ass school. Once you use that tool, it goes in your toolbox. <laughs> like you learn each yeah. tool one at a time, and that's how it worked. So like that's how I like. It's like okay, I'm gonna learn. You know. Mary Poppins Returns. I was not a big Mary Poppins guy, but I'm going to watch the director of Chicago wow. direct a musical. Like, and I'm going to learn from watching him do that. And that's going to help me for the next thing. Uh, and then the other shit is just like stuff I'd kick myself forever if I said no. Like DuckTales, do a voice gizmo duck on DuckTales. Like, yeah, I if I say no, I'm going to hate the person who did it forever. Like, so I'm gonna Lynn, be please tell me about your Curb Your Enthusiasm experience. <laughs> That's an example of like I kick myself forever. Yes, in which you I learned no. everything. Please so, tell me. What you have to know is that not a word of it dialogue is written. I do know this. But he has the whole season. Like it, and he calls you. Like he's like, they're like, Larry David wants to talk to you. And you go, oh my God. And so he calls you and he pitches you the whole season. He goes, you know, I, I don't know if you know the show, but there was a, a fatwa on me and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure, I'm going to lift the fatwa because uh, I'm going to help a guy cut the line. And like, I'm going to say he was here before. And because of that, he's going to cut the, and I'm going to, okay, so can I go on with fatwa the musical? And the people in charge of the fatwa say, you can do fatwa the musical, but only if Lin-Manuel Miranda's involved. Oh, Hamilton, we love Hamilton. Yes, yes, we love Hamilton. And then like, you're involved, but like, we don't get along. <laughs> and like you're a pain in the ass and we don't like each other and then somehow we're going to get to like a duel and I'm going to shoot you with a paintball gun. Like it was all <laughs> in this like <laughs> on the phone and like how the fuck you say no to that? You don't. He's and, my and, so there was, and there's no script. Like there's no And there's no script. And so wow. I told him um, I have to do that with you um, but I'm about to leave the country for eight months. I was doing um uh, I was doing Mary Poppins Returns. And so he said, well, Mary Poppins, yeah. they let me film it whenever I want, so we'll work around you. So I filmed my stuff for the first episode, like the weekend I was in town for the Oscars, I filmed all the office shit. And then they like broke until I got back and then they reassembled the crew, filmed my scenes wow. and cut it again because he has wow. such cachet at HBO. He just goes, I got an idea. And they're like, all right, we're doing another season. <laughs> like, wow. I love and him. What's amazing is he really like has, he's a genius because he's mm -hmm. created a system where he doesn't have to learn one line, but he can create a whole <laughs> season of TV. Like Jeff Schaefer, who's his number two, who's sort of the showrunner, has these pieces of paper. He's kind of keeping track of the plot lines. And so like there would be times when he'd come in and be like, all right, uh, remember in this scene, you've just come from your cousin's uh, and, and and Larry would just shoo him away. Like, ah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. He's like, I don't like knowing too much stuff. We'll, we'll get there. And he just <laughs> wants to get there organically. He doesn't want to have to remember shit. Yeah. Oh, that's so the there's life. no curb. There's so no, no editing on the floor. Curb, that I guess. No, it's no Jeff curb. Schaefer and and uh, and Larry David. Like, Larry David gets an idea, and he works oh, with his showrunner, and they kind of work out the beats, and they schedule it by episode what they want to happen. That is amazing. But I, not a line of dialogue. And, and it was funny because then you also have to figure out your own relationship to Larry. Right. So, like, I figured, like, all right, I can't be Nina Esman because no one curses out Larry like Nina Esman. Exactly. And I can't be the hype guy because, like, J.B. Smoove is a legit genius. Um, <laughs> and I can't do what he does. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'll be the antagonist, but I'm just going to be like really positive while I do the opposite of whatever he wants me to do. Like that was my <laughs> whole thing was like, oh, do you like this shirt, Larry? 
And he'd be like, yeah, I like it. Okay, okay, we need to look at more shirts. Like, just do the opposite oh, the of like, like always happy aggressive. to him. Because he knows how to deal with aggressive, but he doesn't know how to deal with, like, passive aggressive positivity <laughs> that yeah. is the opposite of what he wants. So that was my way of being an right. asshole. So thank you. Have you, have you planted, uh, at least that you can talk about, I guess the white elephant in the room is people are dying to know what your next Broadway uh, venture will be, which, you know, again, is, uh, you know, I, I assume that this time is sort of like what 1985 was to Michael Jackson <laughs> after you Thriller. You joke, but there's lessons you in know, that, right? Working- like, I think there's stuff in bad that I love. Like dangerous is legit. My favorite album. Cause I was 12 when it came out and the music that comes <laughs> out when you're 12 right. is what means the most to you forever. Um, I remember being in the mirror being like, will you be there? I will be there, Michael. Um, and <laughs> like just in oh. my trials and my obsessions like, yes, yes. Um, but the thing, but the thing is, but, but, is so, that let, let me, let, wait, wait, let me normally like, artists. The, okay. I think one of the dangers is to to go bigger. Like there's a temptation to be like, this one's going to be even we can bigger than Thriller. Mm-hmm. Like if you go to the like topping yourself place, like that's where I think people mess up. And and so 100%. like I'm not going to write like a three act historical musical. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like Trump yeah, I, oh, the please, musical, I get pitched right? at twenty no. fucking times a day on Twitter uh, every day. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> Every day. Can you please write something about this so people finally know? I was like, I think people know. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's just a matter of what side people have chosen. <laughs> exactly. Because motherfuckers know the and thing, they still don't care. They know. The thing is, is though, most artists will do what they call the departure album, uh-huh. which is like the opposite of that. I was actually going to say, I kind of admire Mike's balls for actually saying, you know what? I could top Thriller. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> He's literally the only one that had a mountain and was like, all right, I'm going to climb this other mountain, which yeah. I got to give it to him. Okay. Five, five albums, five number one songs from an album is not a failure to me. Man in the Mirror. Man in the Mirror. Leave Me Alone but, just on the on. CD, but wasn't on the cassette. It was, yeah, it was, uh, yep. But, <laughs> yeah, but what I, I'm saying I is. I still didn't jam bad, though. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's a success, but it's still not my favorite. But what I'm saying is, is that people either like, will do the opposite or they'll try to top it. But there's also middle ground and people never explore the middle ground. I guess for you, what would the opposite of Hamilton be like a, a one man play or, or <laughs> oh, Shakespeare in the park or I, I don't know. I, you know, one of my favorite books what growing up, the fences, like a, a Latino fences. I don't know. Right. I'm going to write a play for every decade. I'm going to go. Oh God, I wish. Um, no, the um, I, I, one of my favorite books uh, in high school was because I remember I was like a film guy was uh, Rebel Without a Crew by Robert Rodriguez, who directed Desperado and directed mm-hmm. Sin City. Um, yeah. And his whole Five thing was like he made his first movie for eight thousand dollars. He maxed out all his credit cards, he sold his blood, and was like a lab rat in like like experiments to make the clinical money trials for this. And shit. Yeah, clinical trials. <laughs> clinical trials. Like, that's how he paid for his first movie. And he shot it in Mexico. El Marachi? Really? And he did El Mariachi on $8,000. Ah. Damn. And so 
he wrote this book about like, stop waiting for Hollywood, just make your own shit. Like that was really influential to me. Like stop waiting for anybody, make your own shit. And he said, after I made Desperado, everyone was waiting for the sophomore slump and everyone is waiting for the sophomore slump. So just do so much different shit that no one knows what your sophomore project is. <laughs> like that, w- and that's basically what I've been trying to do. Like he did a segment for Four Rooms. You remember Four Rooms? Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, Tim what was joint? Yeah. He did an episode dawn. for like a show on Showtime. Like he just did like lots of different shit. Yeah. And that's kind of like I was like, okay, I'm not gonna go right into writing another musical after Hamilton. I'm just gonna go do lots of different shit until I amass enough ideas. And I have ideas for stuff I want to write that is the length of Hamilton, but it doesn't tell me what form it wants to be. Like, remember, I thought Hamilton was going to be a mixtape. Like, I thought I was going to be doing, like, A Prince Among Thieves. Like, that's what Hamilton was in my head. Was like, it was a concept album. I'd have rappers play the founders. I just didn't know any rappers yet. Like, I had to write the (laughs) show to get there. Um, And so I I have ideas for full-length things, but... I don't know whether they're movies or whether they're concept albums or whether they're shows. But there I was about are... to say, because you know rappers now, so that whole concept album thing is like a thing. It, it can't, Of course, it can't be Hamilton, but it can be something. Yeah, and, and yeah. so I, I have an idea for something that I think could be a concept album and could be a play, but until I start like really writing it, I, I'm not going to know what it is. It'll tell me what it is. All right, so you're just planting seeds. Yeah. Okay, the fun stuff. Gun to your head. What are... The five albums, and they can't no greatest hits, man. Okay, that's why I hate that Rolling Stones list. It's like, come on, you can't put James Brown Star Time in there. That's every James Brown record (laughs) ever. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Gun to your head. Mm. Five records that you are forced to listen to in solitary confinement for years straight. Weird, Weird. Five records. Um, or Neon, Wesleyan University. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? Professor Neon. My, my college Bill band. Bill Sherman's on African Duke. High Life band. Yeah. Um, Bizarre Ride to the Far Side. Oh, yes. Yes, I listen, yes! I probably listen to that more than any other hip hop I'm album. Team Lab Cab. I think me and Just Blaze might be the only two dudes that are Team Lab Cab. Yes. yes. Wait, you were born in 78? I was born in oh. 78. You yeah. 78 motherfuckers, so contrary, man. It's like, I'm Team Black Cabin, man. If you, were, if you were born in 76. I have a theory about that. Okay, let's 70, hear it. 73 to 78, the reason y'all so contrary is because your formative Star Wars movie is Empire Strikes Back. And it is the one with the sad ending. And it taught a generation like, it could Sometimes end like this. Happens. And like, yeah. imagine seeing Empire Strikes Back and being like, and that's the end of the movie. Mm. Wow. Damn. Well, that's an interesting now, theory. Now I've never seen any shit. Star Wars movie. I was about to oh, say, so, he's but, so contrary. But, but that's, <laughs> no, I've never seen Star Wars. I've seen them all during quarantine. Most contrary. What? Go and ahead. Most yes. 70, I, I 78 people more Return of the Jedi, but I know Fonte is out of that regardless. So I, don't know. I can see Bizarre wow. Ride because I feel like that's the album that birthed Eminem. That's what I told you. What? Hmm. All right, I Lynn, mean, number two. Oh, okay. no, the zaniness okay. of Farside, that's that's Eminem all day. Everything's okay. That's also, if that album wow. drops and you're 14 years old and you hear Passing Me By, and you're what? like, oh, shit. And the remix. Yeah. The letter yeah, came yeah, back three days later. Return to Sender. Damn. Okay. So Ending number one. fish on the burp. Right. I mean, just like, it, it's no, I the love actual, that album. Yeah, mm-hmm. love that album. Um, 
I fuck with Lab Cab too. It's just that album was is like takes mm-hmm. up this much real estate in my brain. Um, I just I don't like records that I learned early. Pass the pipe. Pass the pipe. We, we almost we almost mm. made a mistake on Illadelph. Thank you, Howard. When we were going to do like industry complaint songs. <laughs> the industry. Oh yeah, yeah. Industry complaint songs, and my A and R is like no. Like no that one cares that the record label thing. doesn't care the, about the you. Perils of Fame album, right? That yeah, was like half the side news about album. like the record label, and yeah, I learned and, early like never make songs about the record label. So I learned early, you know. All right, number two. What's your number two? Number two is uh, an album that I remember more as like a vinyl in my dad's collection. It's a Ruben Blades album called Buscando America, Looking for America. Okay. Um, and it was, it's, it's one of those moments where like, you know, you just, you dance to your parents' shit when you're a kid, mm-hmm. right? You're like, oh, I fuck with this, I'm dancing, dancing. And then you listen, and then like you learn enough Spanish to understand the lyrics and you go, this is about <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> or like, this is about the perils of, of like religious fanaticism. Like there's deep shit in the lyrics of those songs, but I experienced mm-hmm. it as like a kid dancing to it and then I had a whole other like thing when I was old enough to appreciate it. Um, so that's an album I can fuck with forever. Uh, you shout out to all the kids that don't relate him to the guy from the Predator movies. Predator 2 with Danny Glover. Yes. What's, yes, he was Predator 2. Predator yeah, and, two. That, and, and then another generation which just knows him as a guy on the Walking Dead sequel. <laughs> and like the he's governor of the Walking Dead. Yes, he is. He's the father. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. And he's like, he's like our Bob Dylan. The and then Dead. like white kids know him as Predator 2. Right. <laughs> like my daddy put me on to who he really was, but that's some New York shit. But anyway, yeah, that's some New York shit. Because he was, yeah, he was, he was the '70s salsa. He wrote all the best songs of salsa in the '70s. Um, him and Willie Colon. Number three. Um, Willie Colon. Yeah. Three. I gotta pick a theater album at some point, right? But I've listened to Rent so many times. I don't think I would. I would stay in it. It would probably be. It probably would be something I don't know as well, like Gershwin's Porgy and Bess or or like any Sondheim show. Like those are so fucking dense. You you will hear new shit in it every time. Listening to Sondheim, like arrangement wise, is like listening to pun lyrically. Like you will get a new shit every time you hear it. Wow. Um, so probably like Sweeney Todd. I think Sweeney Todd is okay. a good number three. Okay. And it's also oh, wow. two discs, okay. so I'm kind of cheating. Um <laughs> Do you play, Lynn? I mean, you talk about like just composition. Like, do you play keys or I instruments? play piano just well enough to write my shit. And actually, gotcha. um, when I started working with Bill, will appreciate this. Like, it used to be like four tracks. Like, I would play the bass here and the piano here, and it was like terrible. And then finally, like most of Heights got written on GarageBand, and Hamilton got written on Logic. Like, I just hey. like anything that shows the distance between <laughs> my brain and like these keys. And to the point where it's part of the editing process, like a melody has to survive my shitty chops. <laughs> <laughs> right. Intact. That's that's it's facts. There you are know, some like, great tapes. If you can hear are, the melody through the rough stages, then you got, you something. got something. Yeah, yeah. There are composers who have no distance between their brain and their hands. I'm I'm just not one of those guys. It's got to survive my chops. And then sometimes I find shit along the way while I'm trying to get it out of my head. Um uh, okay, number four, um, Songs in the Key of Life. I could listen to that forever and be very, very okay. happy. Um, I could okay. pick mm-hmm. any Stevie. I could pick Intervisions. I could, you know, like... Yeah, we were, we were talking on Twitter about, like, like, I think, like, talking book being better than songs. And I was like, 
I'm not mad. I think it's yeah, no. I, I mean, play I play talking book more. I mean songs is a masterpiece, but talking book I, like I kind of come back more. to more. Yeah, Again, I go, I, two discs, so I'm cheating. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm just trying to get more music into this little desert island situation you've got me into. Uh, That's funny. Then, I would pick the least liked one, which is fulfilling this. Oh, it's like no, I think plants. Plants. That's what I thought he was going to say. Because he artsy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I'm stuck with the record for a year, I'm, I don't know. I, I just have a better Although here's like, a question. A Why hasn't there been a great Stevie jukebox musical? I've, I've imagined it many times. Like you start so the village ghetto land. Yo. Yeah, yeah. And like Lynn? you enter the world. Oh, okay. And then Let it's. Let me tell you. Oh, here. Oh, oh, the truth. That's another beating you <laughs> right. that, We can talk about that offline. Yeah, we can talk about that offline. Pitch. <laughs> sort of like the Prince Dog. musical. Dog. Right. Oh. Trust me. Uh, when, one day, Ray man, the musical. I'm telling you. One day, uh, I'll, I'll explain to you. Um, All right, your last one. My last one. I think you say some pun record at this point. I mean, I, I still fuck with Capital Punishment. Yeah. Like, it's, that's the one. I mean, that's kind of the only the one, one, really. E- everything yeah. else after is really? sort of like, hell yeah, yeah baby. Yeah. You fuck with yeah, baby. <laughs> Yo, you, you know what? All right, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. On my Spotify playlist, I don't know why. I First of all, I love 100%. I love, I, I should not love that nigga shit, but I love it. Um, I love I'm laughing at you now I don't even remember these songs I'm laughing at you now there's like five songs that I really 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 like this is on the Yeah Yeah Baby album on Yeah Baby Baby. yeah there's five joints I really like I like the sketches my favorite favorite part of (laughs) the sketches and I know he was doing Scarface was when the guy's laughing during the shooting scene, like, thanks, pun. Mm-hmm. And he's like, when he gets shot. <laughs> packing the back in the back of the eye. Packing, packing the back, 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 back. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Oh, it's Mark. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll appreciate this, uh, Lynn. Pun, mm, well, not really. Pun was supposed to be on adrenaline on Things Fall Apart. What? Is there well, a demo there, somewhere? Um, That's... One of the great he was on his I've way. Like it, it's just the conversation with Pun to talk to him is another language because he'll he'll call the studio like, "Hey, what's up, man? How you doing?" <laughs> what six o'clock? It's like talk talking to the Charlie Brown teacher. <laughs> That's how it is to talk to Big Pun. Like he he was on his adrenaline should have been. A uh, four-man operation with Pun, Beanie, Tariq, and Malik, and Pun. Uh, but he never made it. So, oh, wow! You've seen that footage of it's like Pun, DMX, and they're all sitting in that booth, and they're daring each other to freestyle, and like X is like no writtens, no writtens. It's a great little video. <laughs> really. Oh yeah, yeah, and Pun spit some that. shit. He definitely spit on someone else's album, and it's fantastic. <laughs> Yo, oh yeah, it's, man. It, oh, well, I forgot. Oh, um, your spot in the um, ah, oh, God, I just watched it the other night. The Walter Mercado joint. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, 
kind of ex- explain to us and kind of tell you know our, our viewers what Walter Mercado meant to the what what he meant oh. to the Latino community. It's, the, the way I try to explain it to like Americans who didn't grow up with Walter Mercado is like imagine Bob Ross told you your future. <laughs> Pretty good. Mm. Like imagine Bob Ross came into your home each day and was like, "Virgo, it's gonna be okay. You have a f- fortune coming down the lane." And then like Pisces. And so like I remember most of my childhood, <laughs> I remember running into a room being loud and my grandmother being like, "Shut the fuck up!" Waiting for Sagittarius, <laughs> like waiting for Walter <laughs> Mercado to tell her what was gonna happen in her day. And I would sit through Sagittarius because Capricorn was after that. Uh, yes. Wait, is he, a, Mercado, was he a radio personality? No, he was a TV personality. TV, TV personality. So, uh, also remember, Bob, uh, imagine Bob Ross tells you your horoscope and he dresses like Liberace when he's he, feeling what? at his spiciest. Wait. He dresses like he, Tammy Faye Baker. Yeah, he was this incredibly flamboyant at a time, you know, like machismo in Latin culture is like off the charts toxic mm-hmm. sometimes. But because Walter was so positive and he told us our future, he was just a fixture in our accepted. homes. Wow. And so, like, I remember him. I never knew his name. My Christmas wow. present every year to my grandmother was the almanac, like Walter Mercado, like next year almanac to tell wow. her what she could expect in the coming year. And one of the producers of the doc is friends with Utkarsh, who's in Freestyle of Supreme with us. So I get a text from Utkarsh being like, hey, uh, would you be interested in being in a Walter Mercado? And I wrote, yes. <laughs> like, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't let him finish. Um, because I got a chance to meet him. I, re- I, I could feel my ancestors doing backflips mm. that I was meeting the guy who told them their future every day. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, I, and I feel really grateful. I was, I was doing Hamilton Puerto Rico at the time, so I got like an afternoon with him. He read me my chart. He read wow. me my kids' charts. Like he like looked up my birthday and was like, oh, well, this was happening in this moon and this was happening. Like, of course you were going to go into writing. Like, of course, like, it was just like, I was wow. like crying so much. Like <laughs> it's not in the movie of me just like, holy shit. Um, and then he passed away like uh, within the year. So I mm. felt, I feel extra grateful for that moment because it was like, you know, that was, that was like, that's as close as I've gotten to like meeting a celebrity that was on my TV mm. every day. It was a great documentary, man. I, you know, yeah. I had knew who he was, but I didn't know his story, uh, and I thought that was it's really good. I think yeah, they did a great job. Stuff. I'm gonna watch. That. I got look. Len got a couple because I still gotta watch Samper Luis too. So it's I'm well, that's coming out on Tuesday. That's not out yet. Oh, good. Okay, okay, good. but it'll be out by the by the time this yeah. episode plays. Yeah, yes. episode. And then there's the freestyle doc, which Quest is in, and uh, is like what's crazy about that is they got footage of us at our peak, like at. Baked Beans era, substitute teaching era. <laughs> like, the guy who directed that movie started following us with a camera in 2005. So wait, this movie is sim- is about you guys and y'all beginnings. It's about, like, the 15 years of freestyle when, like, we were... I was a substitute teacher, Bill's working MTV, and then oh we God. were making up funny raps for people <laughs> in Scotland. Wow. Where is this going to be? Is how like do you guys... Was, that's on Hulu. Okay. How, how do you stay sharp? Because... I now realize one of the things about being in quarantining is that us doing the Tonight Show every night, at least when we were doing it before quarantining, I mean, Tariq's spending two hours every day rapping, so that keeps his mind sharp, which explains, like, the the amount of fire that he's... 
Which is well, why the say, Hot 97. My fifth album is probably that 10 minute freestyle because I've watched that more times than any album, <laughs> I, any hip hop album of the past few years. So how do you say, because the thing is, as a freestyler, you're like, you're super on point. I've never seen you fall or slip yet. And in doing Freestyle Love Supreme, the amount of times I've seen it, like the amount of pressure that it takes to make that happen. Like how often every day are you guys, especially now in quarantining, like how often every day you yeah. guys even practicing well, before your the quarantine happened, we were doing our Broadway run and we were doing an eight show week. And that was incredible. I wasn't doing eight shows. I was doing two or three a week, but still that was enough. Um, my, my learning curve with freestyle was, Oh, if you try to plan your rhymes, you're going to fall the fuck on your face. <laughs> like yeah. I, I, that's, that, that was my learning curve. Cause when we started doing it, I was trying to be cute and I was like, all right, I got two punchlines that mm -hmm. if, if, if I can't think of anything, I'll say these funny punchlines. And then like, I would get out on stage, I would fuck up the punchlines and then be terrible. <laughs> and <Yeah>. like, <laughs> and so you learn the only answer is to just be truly open and truly present. It's and then moment. like you get enough reps that like it becomes another language filter. Like, oh no, everything I'm going to say is going to rhyme, but I'm going to express this. Or I'm going to express this. And it will just rhyme because I've had enough reps and I know how to do it. Um, and if you get like chess enough on it, you can know where you're going and build your way there, which Tariq's amazing at. Every time we play Wheel of Freestyle, I love hearing what his first line is because I already know he knows what his last line is and he's building to it. And he builds, yeah, he builds backwards. He builds backwards, but he builds backwards in real time. And that's what I try to do, too, of like. I'm going to end on dinosaur. So now I got to think of three rhymes for dinosaur to and I got to do it to as that, I go. Yeah. Um, and he's the oh, best like in the DJ world guy. at it. Um, but that's, that's what I try to do in the shows. And that's my own little discipline for myself. Like Anthony will literally build to a rhyme and say the opposite just to surprise himself. I don't think Anthony's rhymed three times. Uh, like he just likes to fucking zig and zag. Utkarsh mm -hmm. is like, UTK is just like, he hits these pockets where like he's got 20 syllables and then he can't stop. Like everyone kind of approaches it differently, which I think also works well. Like my technique wouldn't work for Anthony and UTKs wouldn't work for me, but we all kind of meet in the middle because we're all just trying to be present and listen to each other and like say what comes out. Right. Yeah, I think like freestyling for MCs, that's like DJing for producers. Like I, I think just being in that, coming up in that if you came up in battle culture or like cypher culture like freestyling that definitely um you know when you talk about earlier you were saying they don't really teach rapping as songwriting or they don't think of it as songwriting right um that's something that's always kind of been a thing for me and just that you're i tell i tell all mcs anybody want to rap for me whatever like i'm like no please don't rap for me i don't want to hear it but <laughs> you got four bars to close me like that's my home you got you got four bars to close me i know i can tell within four bars if somebody really got some shit or not, because you gotta, you you have to uh, pretty much a you know attack grab the listener by the throat in that beginning, yeah. and you gotta close strong. You know what I mean? And the middle, you can you know the middle gotta be strong too. But that opening, that closing, like you gotta bring that motherfucker home. Lynn, I just want to ask you. It's interesting because we were talking about like 
as you're growing, your father is growing, and we know that this documentary is coming out about his life. And it's interesting because it's it's it, it's an interesting responsibility put on your shoulders. It feels like at this time in your life, as a New Yorker man, as a Puerto Rican man, same thing with this. It's like an activism versus capitalism kind of line. Like I just wanted you to speak on it for a second and speak on this weight that has kind of been thrusted upon you. And you've uh, taken on a lot voluntarily in that sense. Yeah, you know, I used to use Twitter to just like live tweet Buffy and shit like everybody else on Twitter. (laughs) Like you can't do that when you have (laughs) 3 million people following you. It's an article. Like Mm -hmm. every tweet's a press release. Mm -hmm. Um, So your relationship to that changes. But also like I try to treat the causes I get involved in the same way I treat creative impulses of like, what's the shit that doesn't leave you alone? Like, what is the thing that, like, you went to bed thinking about it and you woke up and you're like, this is so fucked up. I can't stop thinking about it. It hurts my heart. It hurts my stomach. Like, I'm going to get involved in some way. And I tried because you could go on Twitter all day and see all the things going on in the world and drown in it. Like, and drown in how much need there is in the world. But you can only listen to the shit that doesn't leave you alone. And so I, I try to... I try to do that. And then I think the biggest lesson I got from my dad, because I'm the mellowest, laziest guy in my family by a lot, but the median is so high because mm-hmm. my dad is such an overachiever <laughs> that like even falling below the median, I still get a lot of shit done. I still get pretty um, good, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, but I am, I'm the slowpoke. I'm the one who like, like just want, you know, I'm very happy that we have all successefully skipped watching this first debate live. Because Man, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Listen, like, I'm about to DVR. I don't know what you're saying. It's an addiction. So uh, yeah, I, I, I can't. I, I can't. Watch, I can't watch that shit. I'm really nah. so glad what's I had what? a date with you guys. I know of watching what's that what. Yeah, 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 fuck that. I like, know what's what. Yeah, I'm not so. going to be like, you know, this guy's got some good ideas. Like, but you know what, that <laughs> then the pressure is on because everybody's pandering to the Latin vote, which I found it's so interesting because there's so many countries that you just put under an umbrella with different classes and shit. But like, even with that, for you it's even pressure in this election year in a way, right? For you to speak up, say things. Where do we, you know? Yeah, but but the thing that my dad and I are always on about is like that we're not a monolith and you have to talk right. to us with nuance. Don't be playing merengue yeah. at the fucking Texas for Biden thing. <laughs> right, like, right. They're fucking with Nathaniel music down oh, there. God. Like, yeah. The, you know, like... Despacito ones one got me. <laughs> but it's... Um, it's 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 as simple as speaking to our issues and speak like and and really understanding them and the um you know the fact that we we've never had a president more hostile to Latinos than this president I'm, and he told us who he was the moment he came down the elevator and was like Mexicans are rapists they're not sending over their best people like they're sending over the rapists and killers <laughs> yeah. like and like but there's still down, Latinos for Trump and it went downhill from there <laughs> like that was his opening salvo and it went downhill from there so um, you know I, well, I, th- I think I mean if you want to go down politics we'll talk another hour but like no, I don't, I'm sorry you, but I you know. have to you you have to just you know speak to the issues that 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 affect us this motherfucker threw paper towels and did everything he could not to send aid to Puerto Rico and what he did to Puerto Rico after Maria is exactly what he's doing to this country in this pandemic he wasn't Can ready I- and then he lied about how not ready he was okay, it happened you- on our island and then it happened in our country you opened the door and i guess i have to ask one question Every, you know, every culture has their group of people that are willingly ignorant to actual facts and truth. How easy do you think it will be to convince 
uh, as Laia mentioned, uh, there's a, a a sizable population of Latinos for Trump uh, that, you know, feel as though he's right and he speaks for me. And I, I'm actually shocked that a lot in whatever my hip hop, I would expect it from, you know, the, the old uncle that you think about at Thanksgiving or at least that, you know, comedians joke right. about. But is this at all, is this something that could be turned around or in your opinion? I, I genuinely in, in, think in the next so much weeks? of it is just misinformation. You're trying to play fair with someone who lies as easy as breathing. And the fact that he throws around words like socialism and they're coming to get your this or coming to get your that, sometimes to populations that have fled countries where right. that real shit has happened, lies can take root. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there's all right. manner of atrocities happening in insert Latin American countries here. And if Trump says they're going to do that here and you've just come from there, that shit takes root. And I, and I really think that a misinformation is a big part of it. And the fact that um, in Spanish language, like misinformation can spread even more wildly because like, you know, they're, the, the fact checkers at the Washington Post aren't listening to the Latin radio station, but the Latin radio station is spouting some right conspiracy, yeah, some shit for Fox like, News. it goes unchecked. <laughs> it just straight up goes unchecked. And so, I, you know, to me, that's a big part of it is just like misinformation campaigns uh, with vulnerable mm-hmm. populations. Um, and, um, you know, it, the, the larger part of it, I can't speak to like there's, you know, I, I, I can't know what goes on in that mindset because I'm certainly not of that mindset. Like I'm just right. seeing with my own eyes the lies this guy has told. Like with Puerto Rico alone, like he said only 16 people died. We know that thanks to mismanagement, it was closer to 4,000, but he got stuck at 16 and kept it moving. You and know? just and, released the funds like a week ago, right? Right, right. For, in time I, for the election. Right, right. And, and when, when you see him with, this, with the pandemic stuff and how unprepared he was and how much he downplayed it, he will continue to say, but China, but China. Like, it's like he gets the one fact in his head and he sticks to it. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know the answer to turning around, but I know that misinformation is a big part of it. Misinformation that is just sticky enough to take hold. My last question. Mm. Unpaid bill. Uh is there anything about Lynn that we haven't learned yet? <laughs> <laughs> Any embarrassing I with story. Lynn, now I'm ending with you. Fella Kutstein, I just saw that you replaced the name. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, there are many stories about Lynn that are fantastic. And, uh, you know, uh, maybe we could do a second episode and get into the real Lynn Manuel. <laughs> we'll <the> real <laughs> Lynn sit down. Um, I mean, that. yeah, No. What? Covered what did all. you just say? That was a word salad, though. <laughs> you said that bourbon was good. I make fun of how you talk, but what did you just say? I don't, I don't know how to answer this question. The answer is yes. There are many stories about Lynn that I that I could tell here, but uh, uh, there are none that will take the short amount of time we have left to coagulate. So nothing. I just think it's dope, man. Like, <laughs> no, I just think it's dope for y'all have been been homies for all these years. You mm-hmm. know, like twenty years for y'all to still be homies and still working together and you know the heights that you've both achieved like exactly i think that's just a great story man that's it's a plan for this to be forever forever 
Forever, ever, ever? <laughs> Bill who, and Lynn who answers forever, that question, ever? Laia? Well, Amir, is the plan for you I'm and like, to reach only to three, be forever, There's only ever? two people in my life not related to me that I've known longer, and you're actually one of them, which is scary ah. as shit. Aww. That's real, hey. though. Kiss today, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you see what I did for love? Hey, yo, Lynn, yo, did you really, did you have a Commodore 64? I don't know version. Oh yeah, Commodore sixty four. Okay, yeah. Jupiter Landing. Yeah, Jupiter. Hell yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I used to watch Lynn play Tony Hawk skateboarder for like hours upon hours. I just hours got the remasters. We used to like over again. We used to wow. watch Little Mermaid. We had a lot of weird times. Yeah, together. Burnout <laughs> Dominator. That was a big game. Yeah, yeah, do, you, do you still game? You still game it all, Lynn? Uh, yeah, I, I just got the remastered Tony Hawk because that was that was the game that got me back into games. Like we I started play. playing with that in college, and then I never got off again. The remastered. That and, like, uh-huh. I'm replaying Red Dead too. Like that's like. And I got I never opened Red. It was just it's so much game. I finished. Uh, it's so much you game, but once you start hunting bears, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> you you PS4 or you Xbox? Um, PS4. You PS4? Okay, I'm PS4 too. I just finished uh, a couple five months ago. Uh, Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, oh yeah, that's, that's good. That shit is amazing. That shit is so amazing. My, wife, game called- have, uh, my wife likes like she'll play Zelda forever. She will Zelda! read every book in a room. Wow. Like the music, and, like nerdiest. Skyrim. I just want to fight shit. I just want to Sky- fight shit I- and steal yo, cars. Okay, if you just want to fight shit, there is go. a game. It's Burn on uh, it's on PS4. It's like twenty bucks. It was on Xbox, but now it's, they made it for PS4. Called Cuphead. 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 <laughs> dude. Dude. I'm getting Cuphead. it. It is like I heard I like I saw somebody in a forum, they described it as cartoon Dark Souls. And it is the realest shit ever. Like it is it's hard as fuck. It's super hard, but the the, the uh, animation style is in like that 1930s Tom and Jerry, Ooh. like rubber holes. My first date with my wife was Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. That's how I got yes. her to come to my house yes. to play that with me. What? Yeah, I, I used to play Burnout Revenge. I used to watch Lynn crash cars for like hours and hours. Yeah, that's all I wanted. <laughs> I had no life. <laughs> uh, remember I don't think none of us had that, lives. that was the best. Yeah. Damn, now, man. I'm missing out, best. man. Ladies and gentlemen, you asked for it. You got it. The four years overdue Lin-Manuel Miranda episode of Questlove Supreme. We thank you very much for joining us. Yes. Uh, on behalf of Team Supreme, uh, Laia, Sugar Steve, Fontigolo, and Bills, Bills, Ayla Bills. Coonstein. Oh, that's right. Yes. Leon playing at a spring fling near you. <laughs> that is your new name. It's the best name ever. Please call me. It is. There you go, boy. <laughs> All right. This is Questlove signing off. We will see you next go round. Thank you very much, Lynn. We appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, guys. All right. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, 
LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.